0: Now is the time to get the Injury Finder. Injury predictions and fragility ratings on all fantasy-relevant players in the App Store, on Google Play, and includes recovery analysis from licensed physical therapists, and it's only five bucks. Jameson Williams is a bust. I just want everyone to know, Jamison Williams is definitely a bust because, of course, he's a bust. All the receivers in the first round from last year can't all hit. And who's most likely to bust? The guy that's suspended, the guy that's always injured. That's the guy that busts. And it's just the way it is. And I and I posted on Twitter, hey, the lines have a really bad track record of first-round wide receivers. You have to go back to Johnny Morton and Herman Moore in the 90s if you're not going to count, you know, top three pick, uh, most impressive college receiver ever, Calvin Johnson. Okay, okay, that was the easiest sort of breakout call in the history of the receiver position was Calvin Johnson. So other than the easiest pick ever, if you had to pick a breakout wide receiver, was Calvin Johnson. Other than the easiest call of all time, every other call they've made in the first round at wide receiver since Johnny Morton has been bad. Johnny Morton, by the way, shame on me. I wasn't sure if Johnny Morton had broken out. Dude had three to four thousand yard seasons, and I didn't even remember. Shame on me. I'm a child of the 90s. How do I not remember that? Oh, so mad. But I mean, since then, not Calvin Johnson. It's, it's a woof fest. Even the second and third round wide receivers have been bad. It's been all bad at wide receiver for the Lions until I'm on Ross St. Brown. Thank God he broke the streak of bad wide receiver picks. Rodgers and Mike Williams, like the most epic busts at first round wide receiver. And then it looks like Jameson Williams might be one of the more epic busts in that if he doesn't see the field at some point, he's just going to fade away with no production at all, never having done anything. We know Garrett Wilson's hitting, Olave's hitting, London's going to hit, Burks, Dotson, Williams. They're the ones that are up in the air. If I had to pick it's gonna be Burks. Burks was a better prospect. And Burks has also been on the field sometimes and been productive sometimes. More than Dotson for sure. People like Theo, a lot of our guys, they like they like Dotson. Who are you gonna pick? Someone's gonna bust. Multiple guys have to bust. In a lot of these first rounds, more often than not, the receiver busts. We've had years where Treadwell and Corey Coleman and Josh Doxson and most of the receivers busted. And it's from off-the-field stuff too. There's rugs. Weird stuff happens. You have guys that just were overdrafted because they had this lightning-in-a-bottle special teams traits like Tavon Austin and quarterall Patterson were first-round picks, which never made any sense because they didn't produce enough as receivers. It just was weird, but they did it, and they were first-rounders. You know, Kadarius Toney, he's a massive bust. He's already going back for a knee scope. He's not going to happen. He's, he was a stay-away this year in drafts, and even when they're healthy, they're not good. Even when Jameson Williams was on the field last year, I know he couldn't really cut as well as other receivers, he wasn't getting targets. He wasn't commanding snaps. I know he was you know, coming back from a torn ACL, but what we've seen from him has been super anemic, and he had one good year in college. So it's looking like one of these one-hit wonders was in the Ohio State system and flashed and then was never heard from again. That's probably what Jameson Williams is. You can break down his film, and you can say he's super speedy and he's great, but so many of these guys bust. So many. So many, so many players that had awesome tape, awesome metrics. I liked Nikhil Harry's metrics, but there were problems with their profile. There were problems with him as prospects that weren't even detected by NFL teams because they drafted him in the first round. But now the problem with Jamison Williams is that he's losing all this time with the team. First, he's injured. Then he's barely playing because he's not 100%. Then he's injured again in the off-season program, then he's suspended to start the season. So he's never acclimated to a full game of actual NFL action. He's never going to be the alpha. It's going to be Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown's one of the best receivers in the league. And so he's going to have to live as like a, a high-volume beta, which he can in the Lions offense. High-volume beta is a great role for him. That's perfect. But he's not playing it. And if you don't get those reps with the quarterback, you're not going to establish that trust. You're not going to flash the big plays in practice that are going to inspire coaches to put you in, to to create a game plan around you, to scheme for you. And eventually, you're just going to be forgotten. You're going to be marginalized. This is what happens. This is what makes football so unique. Is that it's not like soccer or basketball, a limited roster, and the playmakers and the elite players are up here, and the role players are down here. In the NFL, a lot of receivers can come out, a Mac Hollins, an Isaiah Hodgins, they can erupt, and it can become 100-yard receivers in a game, and then do it again and do it again, and suddenly they're for, for a month. Travis Fulgham's averaging like seven catches a game. It's weird. When it happens in the NBA, it's like Jeremy Lin. It's like the craziest thing you've ever seen. But you can be forgotten about and left on the side of the road as a player in the league very quickly. Look at these teams moving on: Giants, couple years. Tony moved on, right? Lions, Swift moved on. Like they don't even let these guys get through their rookie contract. They're kicking him to the side of the curb, and they're like, "Whatever we can get for this guy, exchange picks in in, in day three. We we don't care. Whatever." In that environment. Makes it that much harder for Jameson Williams to command a role that's going to be fantasy relevant consistently. And it kind of makes me think about Northwestern. Hey, Podfather, we're going to comment on Pat Fitzgerald and the Northwestern Wildcats and this whole scandal, this bullying hazing scandal that's happening. And I will after this. It's interesting. Right? It's an interesting dynamic that's happening in that every single member of the team, every active member of the team, participated in a letter exonerating the coach of responsibility. One of these letters that said, hey, nothing happened, but if it did happen, he wasn't involved. Right, Those letters never resonate, ever. I know why they get written. These players are desperate. They decided to go to Northwestern to try to win a Big Ten championship and have huge success. And now that all that success is threatened as this program is being dragged into the mud. We've seen this before. So, of course, they're going to close ranks and write a letter to try to help to alleviate the pending demise of the program. And it's not possible. It's not possible. Pat Fitzgerald was the best coach in Northwestern history. Northwestern was the quintessential last place football team. They were worse than Duke. We we would get beat by Duke when I was there. You understand? You have to make a decision. Say, hey, we're going to be a good football program. That always and forever comes with a deal with the devil. And if you're a private university that prides itself on academics, it always comes with tension within the administration. The best example of this is University of Miami. Go watch The U and other documentaries and go read Dan Lebitard and go read Dan Lebitard when he was a a journalism student at the University of Miami. The tension was palpable. Administration did not care about the football team and thought the football team was actually hurting the reputation of the school. They were more interested in the school's academic reputation and felt that the football program was diminishing it, was overshadowing it. And they weren't necessarily wrong, but you ask most students, and they love the fact that the university has a great football program. You ask most Northwestern students, they take a lot of pride now in the football program. I take a lot of pride in the fact that we're producing first-round players. Peter Skoransky, Rashawn Slater, that's where my pride, I swell with pride. We would go years... Not producing a single day one, day two, top 100 pick. A Northwestern player, it might be an offensive lineman or a linebacker, going late day three. Like Barry Gardner was our captain, and before that it was Pat Fitzgerald. And they were either late round picks or undrafted, and we were just glad when they latch on to a team. And they they get invited to camp. (laughs) That's where the program was before Pat Fitzgerald. And by the way, when I was there, Randy Walker was the coach. And Randy Walker was really hard on players. Really hard. I saw players quit during camp. I saw players need medical attention because of heat stroke. This is most football programs. You're going to have players that wash out. And those players made that commitment to go to that school. And they've washed out. I struggled to get through camp as an equipment manager. Much less a player doing what they had to do. I have so much respect for NFL players because I've seen, I've been on the ground at the, the level down and what these guys have to go through. So none of this is new. Going back to Miami, you've seen private schools with academic reputations make that deal with the devil. And what comes with it is rule-breaking, immoral acts and unseemly behavior, whether it's schools like SMU, Giving Eric Dickerson a car, also a great documentary on the the rise and fall of SMU. But if you want a great football program, this is part of the deal, right? All these schools, Clemson, Alabama, a deal with the devil was signed (laughs) with Nick Satan. I mean, Saban. Saban. It's an open secret. And that's why there's all this tension at Notre Dame, right? There's all this tension at Notre Dame. Administration won't let Brian Kelly recruit all the players he wants. Won't let him reduce the academic standards of the team to zero. And then he ends up at LSU or wherever, right? That's what happens with these programs. There's always this tension, and it never lasts. So when Northwestern was having success and going to bowl games and challenging for Big Ten championships, I was enjoying it while it was happening, thinking, well, okay, Fitzgerald's going to the pros, and it's going to be over. This was not a scandal involving bad behavior of the players, coaches, or both, was not something that I considered, but now, thinking it through, it makes sense. It makes sense that there would have been unseemly behavior and a culture that was created that would reward the best athletes would reward the toughest motherfuckers and some of the others that that washed out would resent it when the team starts to get good that's going to happen and then those people are going to start talking to newspapers and northwestern happens to have one of the best journalism schools medill in the country, it's 1-2 with Northwestern and NYU. And so you put that together, right? You have players that signed with Northwestern to be football players and for academic purposes. These are true student athletes. And they get marginalized from the program. They get pushed out of the program. They get bullied out of the program. Whatever happened, right? Whether the players did this of their own recognizance or there was some collusion with the coaches and the strength and conditioning coaches, whatever happened that resulted in these former players feeling wronged, feeling like they were abused, you're going to have these scandals over and over and over and over again. It's a tale as old as time. We could certainly go back to losing to Duke if you want to take that next step you're going to have to make compromises and compromise your morality. This is college sports. This is the NCAA. I mean, it's not quite FIFA, but it's bad, right? It's bad. It's unseemly. There's a rot at the core of it, of all of it. It's part of the bargain that you make, right? The moral conundrum of being a fan of, of one of these top programs is you know underneath the surface there's some bad stuff. There's some stuff that you wouldn't be proud of if you were a part of it. And I know that there are people at Northwestern that are certainly not proud of what happened and what they were part of, and they regret it. But those players all got together and they wrote the letter exonerating the coach because they had no choice, because their careers are at stake. And if you're a member of that team, not participating in the letter is not an option. This is why Jamison Williams is never going to happen. It's all tied together, right? When the majority of the team says we're writing a letter, if you don't participate in the writing of that letter, you're ostracized. You're volunteering to leave the tribe and then you can walk out of the camp on your and you're on your own in the wilderness after that. So even if you're not proud of what happened, even if you feel guilt, and even if you're reading these articles in the paper and you're like, "Yeah, that that really wasn't appropriate." or that was A despicable act. I can't believe we did that, but we did do it. And so now what? Well, we close ranks. That's what we do. The idea that one or two of the teammates would have dissented that's just not an option. When a letter like that gets written, it's 100% of the players sign. That's what it means to be a team in good times and in bad, especially when the future of your career is at stake. Oh, well, they, they, they all signed. All the players signed. The coach was not involved. (laughs) It's like, no, 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 wait. No, that's not how it works, okay? That's not proof. The coaches weren't conspiring with the players to participate in in these behaviors and activities. As a Northwestern alum, I'm not proud of it, but I also wanted the program to be good. And if I could go back in time and say, hey, former uh, equipment manager who lived through loss after loss after loss soul crushing defeat after soul crushing defeat one day this is going to be a perennial winning team you know they're going to have five straight seasons with a winning record in the big 10 right there is a there is a deal with the devil that needs to be made in that eventually it will come out that players were being bullied and abused and the coach will be fired and the program will go through a period of shame most people take that And you see that over and over and over again with all these programs, their arms are open. Please bring us the coach who will put that bargain in front of us, and we will sign on the dotted line with Lane Kiffin. Every time, the answer to whether or not we're going to sign the contract to make that bargain in big time college football, the answer is always yes. So I don't have a straightforward take on what happened with Northwestern. It's complicated. And now, in hindsight, with all this context and all this history, the program was too good to be true, and this was inevitable. Lastly, the Barbie movie. It's great. It's a great movie. The, the criticism of the movie is that it's too second-wave feminism, and it's not third-wave feminism enough. My response to that is, get over yourself. Uh, not everything has to be political. Just because there are some political overtones in the movie doesn't mean that it's a political movie. right? I didn't find the movie to be too woke. And I didn't find the movie to be not woke enough. In fact, based on the the box office, it looks like the movie was just woke enough. And my daughter is going to see it today for the third time. And she loves it. It was hugely entertaining. My mother-in-law cried. My wife loved it. She's going to see it again. And my wife never sees movies a second time. It was a raging success. So all credit to Greta Gerwig and and her uh, writing partner, a masterstroke, bringing movies back. Like this is a seminal moment in that we're finally 100% past the pandemic period of our society. And it's something to be celebrated. And anyone that's criticizing it for being either too woke or not woke enough is too online. It's too online. That's one thing these people all have in common. They're complaining about talk of the patriarchy or complaining about the fact that it's too second-wave feminism and we're so over the whole girl boss movement and Birkenstocks. Shut up. Shut up. This is a product that is meant to entertain first and foremost and make a lot of money, and it's doing that. It's for entertainment and merchandising, and they're doing a great job, and everyone's enjoying it that I've talked to. So until I meet someone in real life that's not super online who is critical of the movie, I'm going to continue to hold firm in my position that it was a good movie, it's worth seeing, and it's not worth complaining about. Oppenheimer, on the other hand, probably should have been shortened. And the thing with Oppenheimer that makes me crazy is that Hollywood is always striving for reaching for Whatever is that next sequel? This is a proven product, proven success. Let's just repeat the success. It's a much safer investment, right? Trying to do something brand new, trying to innovate. Innovation is risky, sequels are easy. Let's go the sequel. Oppenheimer, they had two movies, they had the sequel written, they had it shot and done. Run it as two movies. It's two distinct storylines. You finish the first movie at the one hour and 40 minute mark, which is the perfect length for a movie, with a giant A-bomb explosion, and you run the credits, and then you have this sequel, which is, to me, more fascinating, but less compelling. It's more fascinating because I know a lot less about Oppenheimer post-A-bomb, So there's a lot more to learn, and and I actually got more out of that part of the movie. But it was a non sequitur, right? It was like two distinct movies, right? These are two separate phases of one man's life, which is the perfect two-part biopic. It's the perfect two-part biopic. And they blew it. They could have doubled the revenue, doubled the profits, doubled up everything, more than doubled up everything by having the sequel ready to go. Like a year later, just like Harry Potter, they shot multiple movies in succession. Hunger Games, some of the most successful franchises, they do this. They had it. They had a two-part movie. They made the one movie worse by including the second movie and attaching the second movie to the original movie. It's one of the dumber things I've ever seen. It's like, the movie was brilliant. It was brilliantly done except this one incredibly dumb decision, which was to run the whole thing in one movie. Why? With streaming now and this zeal for sequels, why would you ever go with a three-plus-hour movie? Why would you ever produce a three-plus-hour movie, and certainly not a three-plus-hour movie, with a natural dividing mark, a line in the sand down the middle? Three-hour movies are brutal, my suggestion is go to the theater, watch Barbie, wait for Oppenheimer to come out on streaming, and then you can stream movie one one night and then watch movie two the following night and enjoy. Now it is my great pleasure as part of Crossover Week to hand over the Mind of Mansion main microphone to one Billy Muzio and Theo Greminger. Today they'll be talking to Sean Corner He is the best projector of fantasy production in the history of this business. Be sure to follow him at The Underscore Oddsmaker on Twitter.
1: And now, our guest on Mind the Mansion, one of the world's greatest rankers, here to square off with the greatest ranker on Player Profiler. Our guest today from the Action Network, Sean Corner. (laughs) Well, welcome, Sean. How are we doing today, my man? There you go. I I can't make it stop. (laughs) I mean, listen, listen, the Bulls intro does what the Bulls intro wants. (laughs) And uh, I, I hope we are all doing well, and I hope that got everybody a little bit fired up. Sean, you're you're one of the best rankers around, you know, year in, year out. You're, you're crushing it at the Action Network. How are you doing today, my man?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, we do miss the Podfather, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to be a guest for the first time with you guys, so I, I'm stoked.
1: Awesome. No, we're, we're excited to talk to you. Billy and I have been, you know, discussing this stuff, it seems like, forever um, you know, we have a lot of like <laughs> a lot of like pressing things coming up. Uh it's almost August. Mm. This is like the money weeks. Billy and I are drafting uh for 200k tonight in an FFPc 125 entry. You have like a lot of the tourists showing up, a lot of the casuals showing up this time of year. Uh Sean, you're 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 cranking it up, man. You're cranking it up. What do you have going on right now in terms of content that you're dropping at the Action Network?
2: Um yeah, so I got a lot coming up. Um you know, I'm going to be releasing my tiers Later this week, um, you know, I'm going to break down every position, all my draft strategies. I'm going to have my uh, backup running back upside chart um, where I kind of list where I'll I'll have every running back. If the starting running back were to go down, Uh, you know, that's a huge part of my draft strategy when it comes to running backs. Um, I have gambling content. so I'm going to have season win totals, uh, player props, player futures, team futures. So I got a lot uh, coming up uh, action network over the next few weeks.
1: No, that's awesome. We love tiers, um, and I love diving into backup uh, running backs. Which back- backup running backs are you going to be extremely high
2: on, Sean? Oh, you just want to get to that? Um, <laughs> no, I just give us <laughs> I, give us I, give, us, like, give, us, one. give I, us one. I love so my favorite backup running back is a guy who can maybe eke out RB three flex value even when the starter's healthy, and then they have like RB two plus upside. Um, and I think like a guy like Jalen Warren, where he's going um is one of my favorites uh but there's there's a ton uh and i'll i'll rattle them all off later but that like he's the type of back that i like to get we don't have any tony pollards like last year like he was my favorite quote-unquote backup uh to target last year uh but as of now based on his adp i think jalen warren's that guy
1: jalen warren's been my my favorite backup running back as well i i agree with you like I love these guys that are like handcuff pluses and you can make yeah. a case that if it if his usage goes up a little bit, you know, you're talking about a guy could be like 11 points a game, 10 points a game and just you plug him in when you need him. Billy, yeah. any any backups you're drafting like a ton of right now?
3: Yeah, I I've been really hammering the Chase Brown I like Chase Brown in Cincinnati. Mm. Uh, we've seen the Bengals' backfield always kind of mix in another back. That was, you know, Samaj P. Ryan before he went over to Denver. Um, and they favored him at times in big games, you know, in playoffs. Uh, so I do think that we're going to see uh, another back quite a bit this season. I like the the chances of Chase Brown hitting the field early and often.
1: No, I like that one as well.
2: Sean, where are you at on Chase Brown? No, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, you know, he could carve out that Samaj P. Ryan role. Um, so I think there is a path for him to potentially, um, you know, have flex value. Let's say, you know, there's four teams on a buy kind of thing, uh, flex value. And then if Mixon were to go down, uh, yeah, I think he would be the most likely to step up. I, I have been hearing, you know, Trivion Williams might be the number two back. So there could be a battle there, but, uh, he's an injury way of potentially, you know, offering low end RB two value. So yeah, he's one of those backs where, especially where he's being drafted, yeah, uh, I think he's offering value.
3: Yeah, it's more of that lottery ticket, right? Yeah. It's not a not a for sure handcuff, but if if something yeah. were to happen, you could potentially see some some
1: major return. Yeah, and guys, not on the show sheet at all here, but I see yeah. the the hat Sean's wearing. <laughs> so I would re- be remiss if I didn't ask this one. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, maybe the injury is lingering a little bit longer than Taylor uh drafters would like to see, mm. and certainly Taylor dynasty managers like myself. Um where are we at on the Colts? handcuff situation if jonathan taylor were to miss time is this some ugly committee or is there value to be had with the rookie evan hole zach moss or Deion jackson let's let's kick this to billy for this one real quick
3: i'm not interested in any of the handcuffs here until it actually happens we get more clarity we know that you know richardson uh once he hits the field i don't think he starts right away quite frankly but when he does hit the field we know that he's going to be heavily involved inside of the running game as well. Uh, with the addition of him, then you throw in JT in the mix. That's a large portion of the pie that's going to be automatically accounted for in terms of total carries. Um, this RB2, per se, in this backfield is pretty ambiguous right now. Um, I think it's going to be a mess, and I'm just kind of staying away from it until there is more clarity to the position.
1: Awesome. Well, wh- where are you at, Sean? Uh,
2: yeah, no, it's going to be an ugly committee. Um, if I had to pick a guy, uh, it'd be Zach Moss. I think he'd probably pick up most of the work. And when it, when you're talking about the Colts, yeah, if, if Anthony Richardson's playing, um, you know, the pass catching role is not really a valuable role to have. So I think Zach Moss would get that early down work, the goal line work. So he'd be the back. But I'm not saying you know I'm interested in him. I just think he would uh, you know be the favorite to lead the backfield in touches. Uh, but either way, it'll be a two- to three-way committee if Jonathan Taylor were to miss time.
1: Well, guys, we, we're going to get to a lot more subjects. In fact, we have five burning questions uh, with Sean and Billy coming up right after
0: the break. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. And, uh, baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable Of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, rivalfantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points. And they have challenges. where you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about fantasy bingo where you can say, okay, I think Akuna is going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman is going to have two hits based on the matchup. The lefty righty and the pitcher quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to rivalfantasy.com. Use the promo code PLAYER. They refund any losses up to 50 bucks. And they are a great supporter of player profiler. Everything we do. This show in particular is only possible because of RIVAL, RIVALFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER.
1: Billy, that was very professional on the <laughs> excellent. It was excellent. So guys, we're gonna we're gonna kick off five burning questions here. And we're going to stick at the wide receiver position. The wider, wide receiver position is one that right now, there's like an extreme amount of enthusiasm uh, for drafters. We're seeing 14 of the first 24 picks in most non-superflex leagues be wide receiver. And then you see all the other promising ones getting like scooped up very, very quickly. One interesting thing that we have here, guys, is we have Cooper Cup, who's wide receiver three overall right now an underdog. You have Tyreek Hill as wide receiver four. You have Devontae Adams as wide receiver 10, and Stephon Diggs as wide receiver five. All of these guys smashed on a points-per-game basis last year. These guys have given us legendary fantasy seasons. None had lower than 18.5 points per game last year. Cooper Cup, if he would have stayed healthy, would have challenged Justin Jefferson. Tyreek Hill had a ridiculous 170 target year in his first year in Miami. Uh, Diggs is attached to Allen. There's really no competition for him for alpha wide receiver. And Devontae Adams last year set a number of his personal records. Guys, this is is interesting because all of them are getting drafted inside of the top 10 receivers. All of them go in the top 15 picks of drafts, but all of them are going to be 29 and 30. Starting with you, Sean, which of these guys gives you the most pause that you're uh, maybe slightly worried about this year, if any?
2: Uh, It's got to be Devontae Adams. uh, And has nothing to do with him. Uh, It has everything to do with the QB situation. Um, You know, I think Jimmy G is pretty overrated just because any quarterback in that Kyle Shanahan system usually thrives. Uh, I mean, Jimmy G and Brock Purdy were both top five in EPA per drop back last year. If you remember Nick Mullins, Remember that guy? He was 14th in EPA drop back in his eight starts in 2019. Um, so I, I think that he's going to struggle. Uh, you know, he, he could spread the ball around more. Jacoby Myers might see a higher target share than we think. Um, so while I still love the player, um, I think Devontae probably has the lowest floor, especially when you factor, you know, Jimmy G's injury concerns. They, they have like no backup. So uh, he has the lowest floor out of these stud uh, wideouts.
1: If this were first-class fantasy, Billy Muzio would play the applause, <laughs> the applause sound effect, because he's been he's been uh, he's been uh, saying the same thing for weeks. Billy, where are you at on Devonte right now? Uh, months I've been saying this since I did the projections <laughs> in in February and. S- I, I love
3: Devontae Adams. It, it just It's 100% Jimmy Garoppolo. I've joked around and said that Devontae Adams is going to hurt his back because he's going to be reaching for his toes, the ball, <laughs> for the entire season. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo just has not been the same quarterback, the accuracy that we have seen in the years in the past. I agree with Sean here. What you know, He was inflated and, and propped up by the San Francisco, not only offense, but the playmakers around him. Mm-hmm. And the injuries are just another piece of the pie. He's only played 16 games once in his career, uh, single digits all the way other up until 2019, six games in 2020, only 15, 2021, 11, 2022. Uh, has never ever eclipsed the 4,000 yard passing mark as well. And, um, I just don't think that we're going to see it this year in uh, in, in Vegas either. So, love, love Devontae Adams, don't like the situation
1: a very simple anti Jimmy Garoppolo uh, argument, guys. It comes all, I mean, pretty much down to that. Uh, we don't really have any questions about the other three in terms of the offenses. We have a lot of questions uh, in Vegas. So I agree with you guys. It's Devontae Adams. I do think it reaches a point where if you can start drafting, like if there's a more negativity with the Raiders, if Devontae hits like the back end, of the second round, Billy. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take some shots, especially when we get to higher stakes drafts. Um, guys, I want to stick at the wide receiver position here, and one we're gonna talk touch on the Jacksonville wide receivers uh, later on. But I wanted to get a quick OTC. Well, right now I'm seeing Calvin Ridley at wide receiver 16, Amari Cooper at wide receiver 17, and then Keenan Allen goes at wide receiver 19. So again, we see another pocket of older wide receivers, and all of these guys have significant draft capital. Cooper last year smashed his ADP. He was very low-drafted, crushed it. Keenan Allen had some bad injury uh, you know, luck, but he finished the year quite well. Calvin Ridley obviously missed the whole year, but drafters are incredibly enthusiastic about him right now. OTC, Sean, which of these three are, are you most into, and which of these three are you least into?
2: Um, I, I am most into Keenan Allen. Um, I just love the floor he provides. If he's your second wide receiver, um, you know, I think Kellen Moore is gonna make this offense even more up-tempo, uh, maximize Justin Herbert's skill set. So I love Keenan Allen this range. Um Calvert, I love Amari Cooper as well, so I I'd go really um, to be the guy of the most pause. just because I mean <laughs> love the talent, but it's been two years since we've seen him play, so he might not regain the form. Um, you know we, we remember him as, but and he's 29, so um, he has the lower floor of the three, and in this range, you know I'm still going for high floor. Uh, usually I take swings at wide receiver once I already have my starting three. Um, so out of those three, really be the, the one I have the most positive
3: Sean would get the applause again because we're, we're we're speaking the same just language. Just Billy,
1: just start going like this. Just <laughs> yes. start going like this. Yeah, you can do the actual applause.
3: <laughs> We've talked about this Chargers offense time and time again. Uh, I I lo- absolutely love what they're going to be able to do this year. You know, Kellen Moore over here from Dallas, uh, Justin Herbert, just always a massive amount of volume throwing the ball. Six hundred seventy-two times in twenty twenty-one. Six hundred ninety-nine times last year. Five thousand yards in twenty twenty-one. 4700 yards last year Keenan Allen is going to see a bulk of the um, targets we know when he's healthy and on the field he's always been a preferred target for Herbert and last year in just the 10 games he played he still saw 89 targets so 8.9 targets per game he had a 27.8 percent target rate uh, last year in 2022 and um, I don't think it's going to change much with the addition of Quentin Johnson so I Absolutely love Keenan Allen in this range. I agree, again, on the fade with Calvin Ridley. Um, you know I've been fading Calvin Ridley all year, uh, especially at his price. that continues to climb, it seems like. There's just a lot of uncertainty with him in, this year. He missed a year and a half of football. People forget that he was, yes, he was suspended, but people forget that he actually sat out half the year the year prior due to mental health concerns and so he has missed a year and a half he's only eclipsed the 100 target mark once in his career he's only eclipsed the 1000 receiving yards once in his career and actually has never eclipsed 900 yards outside of that 2020 campaign where he did see 1300 yards so a lot of concerns for Ridley joining a new team with a new coach with a new offense and a new system and um, you know now sitting at you know a lot, a lot older than what he has been before so um, I'm I'm fading Calvin Ridley at price pretty pretty easily.
1: I'm I'm with you guys. I'm fading Ridley as well, and I'm also fading Amari Cooper. I, I'm with Sean on, on Keenan Allen. I think he's a very safe play, especially if I can get him as like my wide receiver three, or even in my wide receiver two if I want to catch up and also gives me exposure to you know uh, I, like I don't see the the Quinton Johnson Mike Williams. I see those see those guys like cannibalizing each other, not Allen. Uh, so I'm I'm with you on that. I'm fading Cooper a little bit. I think that the target uh, competition has increased. I've never seen him go over 130 targets, and this feels like kind of an overcorrection in ADP where I could get him last year in the seventh, uh, and now I have to spend sometimes a third. I don't like that one at all for a guy that's a little bit older. Want to take it the opposite extreme here. Two guys that are actually the same age, 24-year-old wide receivers, Christian Watson and Jerry Judy. They've had kind of a very different pass here. Uh, Jerry Judy, of course, was the first wide receiver selected in the CeeDee Lamb year, the Justin Jefferson year, and it feels kind of like his big season is coming. He crushed it to end last season, put up top six numbers over like the last six, seven weeks of the year, uh, averaged over 18 points per game. And then you have Christian Watson, who kind of came on fire, was unbelievable on film, very small sample size, but absolutely incredible on some of his big plays and touchdowns. Uh, He was uh, very impactful for for drafters over the second half of last season. Both of these guys are getting selected right around the same range. Right now, Jerry Judy goes as 39 overall on underdog, and Christian Watson goes 41 overall. They're right next to each other as wide receivers 20 and 21. Billy, I've been drafting both of these guys. I I feel like it's kind of a cheat code, especially in FFPC drafts. Where are you at on these two guys? Christian Watson is
3: uh, my most owned wide receiver uh, in drafts wow. right now. I am very high on him. He used to be going in like middle to end of round five. Uh, early in drafts, you used to be able to get him in round six at times. He's been climbing, at least in redrafted FFPC, all the way up to round three now, so we're getting kind of expensive. Um, but the upside in which he presents, I think, is just too much to ignore. Uh, you you nailed it last year. Had that, that streak where he was just... Unbelievable, and um, it's it's unsustainable first and foremost. But if we can even see sixty to seventy percent of that, I think we're in for a monster season. Looking at the numbers and the projections, it's pretty safe to project him for a modest twenty-two percent inside the passing game. He's only competing targets against Romeo romeo and jaden reed uh we have two rookie tight ends who just joined this team and we know it takes time for the rookies to develop get in the swing of things they learn the route tree they learn the blocking scheme so well, i think that we can say that they'll probably start off a little slower than we would hope for um which will give christian watson a little bit more time to develop that rapport with jordan love uh, i know that the, the backs will be involved in the passing game as well but christian watson the but pretty clear cut number one Uh, at 22%. I gave him 125 targets and um, I did give him a regression in yards per reception because I don't think that that's sustainable as well and still puts him over 1,100 yards. And I gave him regression to the touchdown category as well. Mm. I only gave him about 6.8, which we saw in a matter of a handful of games last year. And um, he comes in as wide receiver 15 in my rankings with those modest numbers. Sean, where are you at on this
1: one?
2: Uh, it's it's a tough question. Um, I, I think it also depends how many receivers I have. Um, like if I'm drafting my third receiver, like I said, I like to take more swings. So I'd go with Christian Watson, who has the wider range of outcomes. But if I'm catching up and I'm drafting my second receiver, it's probably Jerry Judy. Um, and I think betting on Judy is sort of you know betting on Russell Wilson bouncing back this year. I think with a more competent coaching staff, that's certainly possible. If you look at the two games after Nathaniel Hackett got fired, uh, Russell Wilson was the QB1 uh, in fantasy. So um, I think it, it could be like a Trevor Lawrence bounce-back type of season. Um, so I think Judy is a bet on Russell Wilson. Um, I, I just think he provides the the more stable floor. So I think if it's my second receiver, it's Judy. Uh, but I love Watson's upside. So if it's my third receiver, I'm going with Watson.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great way of looking at this question, Sean, um, as a structural question. Um, Like Billy and I have been really hammering wide receivers, uh, and I think that that's – like Christian Watson, it feels like an absolute hammer when you can add him as your wide receiver three or four. But I do agree that Judy has a really strong floor. I think that the competition around him is less threatening than some people think. I think like Mims could kind of make Cortland Sutton uh, usage go down a little bit, but I think Judy is, is is fairly safe in that offense. But I love them both. I think that both is a is a good answer. I will say I have more Christian Watson. And guys, we we tell the truth when we're on the clock and our money's at stake. So I will say I've gone Watson over him uh, more often than not. So I'll say Watson if I have gone to head. So Sean, you've mentioned
3: a bounce back year for, for uh, uh, Russell Wilson. I have seemed to be pretty high on Watson yes. as well myself. Where does he come in in your quarterback rankings? Um, I caught a little flack for having him inside of my top 11, um, but I can oh. really see it with the Sean <laughs> Payton <it>? offense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, much, no, no, I kidding.
2: mean, yeah, no kidding. I don't have him 11. Um, I have him 17. Um, so, you know, I, I would still take a guy like Anthony Richardson over him. Um, so I, I think his, his ADP is what? he be 18 right now.
3: Yeah, which I think is his floor because he had his worst season yeah. ever was quarterback 18 last year.
2: Exactly. So I think he, <laughs> he's he's established a very high floor. Uh, but in that range, it depends, again, on the format. I'd rather take a swing on like an Anthony Richardson. But, you know, I would take Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers right now. Um, you know, Tua, I'm very concerned about the concussion. So, yeah. you know, I I'm, might consider him over him. So I could see how you get to 11, because there, there's really a big tier of quarterbacks um, once you get outside the top 10. So I could see that. But right now, he's my QB 17.
1: Okay. Guys, I love it. I want to talk about a couple of ambiguous situations, uh, and we'll take them on the opposite end. Baltimore right now is an offense that that's kind of in fuego. Uh, drafters are really diving into Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews. There's a big bet on Baltimore making a significant leap this season uh, in the first year under Munken as offensive coordinator. But there is a little bit of indecision at the wide receiver position. Despite Lamar Jackson being the quarterback for pretty much across the board right now, you're able to get all three of his receiving options outside of wide receiver three prices. Right now we're seeing, essentially, these guys are are about the same price. You're seeing Zay Flowers as wide receiver 45. You're seeing Odell Beckham as wide receiver down to wide receiver 52 and Rashad Bateman at wide receiver 46. So 45, 46, 52. One of these guys is going to provide massive returns. There's a chance two could provide big returns based on their ADP. Sean, who is your preferred Baltimore Ravens wide receiver to select right now?
2: Um, Well, you know, typically in these situations, I like to go with the cheaper guy. Um, So I'll go with Philadelphia bell beckham here uh and you know i think again we're talking about a range where we're just betting on upside and i think he obviously has the most upside um i mean he was a wide receiver that was on path to go you know to the hall of fame uh but injuries have derailed that so if he's healthy and this offense is as pass heavy as i think it will be i think beckham uh would provide the most value just because he's going you know last out of three i know bateman's entering camp, dealing with injuries. Um, so he, he would be the guy that I'm, you know, projecting the highest. Um, but I think in terms of just taking a swing on this wide receiver group, I'm going to have to go with Beckham.
3: Billy, where you at? Real quick, Sean, where do you have their target distribution, like, percent-wise? Do you have Odell leading a target share?
2: Um, well? No, I have Bat- I have Bateman for sure. Uh, I think where Beckham would have the edge is in the red zone. Like, he, he has a, he's going to have a higher touchdown share. Uh, but I, I have Bateman clearly ahead, uh, even Zay Flowers. Like, I, I have Bateman, the number one, Flowers, number two, and Beckham, three. But I think Beckham's going to be the uh, the red zone target. So it's very close. I have all three uh, tightly packed, you know, yeah. in the lower 50s is where yeah. I have them all.
3: This one was a tough one to kind of separate when you're kind of uh, building out the target share tree for this offense. I have Bateman leading in target share, but it's like 17% versus Odell Beckham's 16%. So I have them both in that, you know, early to mid range, 90 target target range. Um, I do have Bateman with slightly more yards. I have him with like a half a more touchdown than Odell because Odell um, you know, was used a lot more in the red zone earlier in his career, but in the last few years, it has kind of fallen off and I'm not talking about just the injury year, but prior going into the injury year as well. Um, So I lean Bateman in this scenario. Um, I do have some concerns though with the health and the foot and everything coming in. Um, There's a lot of Uncertainty in this receiving where I typically just, if I'm stacking with Lamar, I just usually go with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely and just call it a day, um, and then don't even touch the receivers, honestly. But when I do take chances, I'm going with Bateman.
1: I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of with you, Billy. I'd rather take the upside shot. Um, I think Odell's going to be okay to start the season, but I think as the season progresses, I think one of the two younger wide receivers is going to come on, and my bet is probably on Zay Flowers. I really believe in the talent. We've seen Bateman struggle to stay on an NFL field, and I think it's significant that they spent that first-round pick on Zay, a guy who's very impressive at Boston College. I think he can do a lot of things, um, and I'm just bullish on the talent. I have some in Dynasty, and I'm, I'm rooting for him to, to get a quick start this year. Now let's take it to an opposite extreme, guys. In Baltimore, I'm asking you to pick a wide receiver four. Now all you got to do is pick a wide, your wide receiver six, guys. It's an ugly situation in Carolina. Frank Reich takes over as head coach. We like their offensive line, and I think Bryce Young is going to provide them some quarterback stability as in his rookie season. Hayden Hurst, clearly the tight end. Miles Sanders, clearly the RB1. Chuba Hubbard, the clearly RB2. the RB2. The ambiguity comes at the wide receiver position, where it's really just a mess. You see Jonathan Mingo going off the board as wide receiver 63, their second-round pick out of Ole Miss. Adam Thielen, who turns like 52 this year, He goes uh, as wide receiver 64, DJ shark, wide receiver 69. And then Terrace Marshall down in the, you know, the free range, Billy, get him in the 18th round of underdog, or he goes undrafted on underdog FFPC. You can get him in the 20th round of their best ball tournament. We're drafting this evening. Okay, Sean, time to dumpster dive. Where are you at on this wide receiver core? (laughs) Is there value to be had in, in drafting one of these guys as well?
2: Yeah, I think um, Jonathan Mingo uh, would be the guy that I would target. Again, he's very cheap. I think he has a ton of upside. I think he's also a really good fit for Bryce Young. You know, Bryce Young's not a very good deep uh, passer, so I think DJ Chark could be the one that struggles the most in this offense. Um, Jonathan Mingo's really good after the catch. I think that's the type of receiver that Bryce Young needs. Um, And, yeah, it's wide open, so Jonathan Mingo landed a spot where he could be the number one Wide receiver in this offense, um, so I think based on ADP, based on his upside, uh, I'm gonna have to go with Jonathan Mingo here. Billy,
3: where you at? I like Mingo. I, I have a slight lean actually, DJ Chark, just because we've seen him do it with the, you know, he's got speed, he's got size. Uh, I think that a young quarterback is going to lean on that size as well, and so uh, I like DJ Chark. Health has been a concern of his in the past as well, but um, with. <laughs> kind of it's one of those scenarios where like they just took a bunch of spaghetti and threw it against the True. wall and see what's going to stick um, and so i usually lean on the veterans in this scenario uh, i think mingo probably is more of a second half guy in my opinion uh, may carve out a, a role earlier but they'll probably lean on you know adam thielen and dj shark to begin the season at least at least as what i'm i'm thinking um, but i'm going to gamble with dj shark and, and and go with the deeper threat
1: yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um I think Billy also wants DJ Shark to be a thing so he can have another year of singing. Yeah. The DJ Shark song oh, in right. the tune DJ of Baby Shark. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> it was great last off season, Billy, when you'd go on other pods as the guest, and then people would put, get that in their head and start singing it. But we're not going to ask Sean to sing it on the on the Mind Mansion. We're going to keep it serious. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Jonathan Mingo. I'll go with Sean on this one. It's an ugly situation, really? but I think if you're if you're drafting these guys, you you are looking for the second half of the year guy because I think that the offense will be very run heavy to start out. And maybe they open it up. I think that they're going to challenge for the division as well. So this, this team has a great defense, very good offensive line. Keep it simple, but maybe down the stretch, uh, you see some big plays out of Mingo and that could be the difference. I think it's going to be relatively tight scoring wise. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any winners here. So that, that, uh, that, uh, is the end of five burning questions, Billy. Let's do one more chicka chicka for the pod father. <laughs> one more chicka chicka. One more, one more for good luck. Okay, awesome. We're going to, we're going to keep it going here. Mind a mansion, guys, with Billy Musio and Theo Greminger for crossover week. Our guest, Sean Corner of the Action Network. Guys, I wanted to talk about offenses in general. Mm. We, Billy and I have been asking this to a lot of our guests, uh, you know, on first class fantasy. And I've also been talking to people about it on press coverage. I think it's a really great way to just take a step back and say which offenses are being mis- mispriced and Underrated. Last year, we saw multiple ADP wins by just doing this. I think Philadelphia, a lot of people were betting on by the end of the summer. You saw AJ Brown and certainly Jalen Hurts's ADPs rise when we started like the September drafts. But Miami, Seattle, Jacksonville, they also provided massive returns for drafters who, who took shots on them. I mean, you saw on these offenses, you could, you'd see like four guys, sometimes three guys, sometimes four guys beating their ADP. How about this year, Sean? Who are some offenses that you see as breakouts that could maybe rise multiple players up into ADP wins?
2: I have a comp for each team that you rattled off. So for oh, this awesome. year's Eagles, I would say it's the Bears, um, just because they're giving Justin Fields a top wide receiver and DJ Moore uh, and heading into year three. I think that's going to help unlock uh, Justin Field ceiling, and it'll help the rest of the offense too. So I'm investing in guys like Kula Herbert. Um, Cole Komet could benefit from having an added weapon. So um, the Bears are this year's Eagles, in my opinion. Uh, this year's Jaguars, I would say, is the Broncos. Um, again, it's, it's a team that should bounce back uh, with more competent coaching. Uh, so that's the Broncos this year. I think this is an offense I'm very interested in investing in. Um, this year's Seahawks would be the Packers. Um, I think it's, it's one of those teams where everyone's super cheap. Uh, Jordan Love might not be as good as Geno Smith last year, but they could be good enough to, to you know, have a lot of steals come the end of the season. Um, and then this year's Dolphins would be the Ravens. I think this offense is going to be much more exciting. It's going to be much more pass-heavy. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman. I think this is an offense where we finally can invest in receivers um so that those are the four similar uh type of offense that i see heading into this year i love the way you
1: frame that i want to just push back on one thing with with green bay are you actively going after aaron jones and potentially aj Dillon as values
2: right now as well yeah i think like i, I don't go out of my way but they seem to fall in my lap quite a bit uh, like i get aaron jones is the rb19 in a ppr format Yesterday, um, you know, A.J. Dillon's still one of those um, handcuffs where he can provide value even when Aaron Jones is healthy. But if Aaron Jones were to miss time, you know, he's a solid RB, two, So even he is providing value. I mean, it sounds like you guys like Christian Watson. Um, I think, you know, Romeo Dobbs could be, you know, a, a threat this year. Um, even Jaden Reed. Um, so there, there's just some guys that you can get pretty much for free in this offense. So, yeah, I think every guy sort of at ADP is providing value in this offense. I don't think they're going to be, you know, an elite offense by any means, but I think just as of now, it seems like everybody's left them for dead now that Aaron Rodgers is gone. So I think, you know, all these guys are providing value at ADP right now.
1: I, I love it. Um, Billy, give us a couple offenses that you're really betting on right now. The the two that, I, that stick out the most to me are the Steelers,
3: and, of course, the Denver Broncos. I like what the Steelers did. Uh, they went out and really attacked offensive line in the draft. Uh, they got Broderick Jones round one. They got a blocking tight end round three. They got another offensive line in round seven. Uh, we saw them really struggle in the offensive line front last year, which I think put a damper on on, on their offense. Their defense was also really bad. I think they just kind of threw in the towel um, for the season, just chopped it up to some bad luck. From there, we know what Deontay Johnson has done in the past. You know, Outside of his rookie year, has never been lower than 144 targets. Uh, had some really bad touchdown variants last year. I think he's being severely underrated uh, in drafts in 2023. Uh, we've talked about if he just had four touchdowns, he's probably going inside the top 20 at the position in draft rooms right now. Um, but people are just soured by his zero touchdown season. Prior to that, he saw eight in 2021, seven in 2020, and five in 2019. So I would bet my entire fantasy football entry fees across all formats that he'll have at least one touchdown this year in 2023. Um, That being said, I think that they also have other pieces uh, in this offense that's going to help them Keep defense as honest and balanced. You know, Najee still going to be uh, a big part of the offense. Jalen Warren, we've mentioned earlier at the top of the hour. Um, Pickens is is another person is just huge contested catch player. Pat Fryer has really stepped up in a big way at the tight end position. I know they added Allen Robinson, not the biggest add in my opinion, but adds another weapon for them to at least lean on uh, inside um, this offense. And then heading over to Denver, we mentioned Russell Wilson earlier as well. Uh, I like the the entire new coaching staff that they just kind of. You know, wiped everything clean, started from scratch, brought in an offensive minded coach. It's going to help Russell Wilson regain form and regain confidence. It's going to help the offensive click. There was also a time where we didn't see a lot of these weapons on the field together last year because of injury. So we either had Sutton injured, Judy injured, or we had uh, Greg Dulcich injured. And so now we finally get all three on the field. We have Javante who's going to be into things. I'm expecting. Based on that injury, I know they say he's ahead of schedule, but everyone's very optimistic in July in football season. Um, we'll see when when the rubber hits the road and we're actually getting into week one, if how, how ready he really is. My belief in the way that I've kind of mapped out the projections for this team is that they're going to lean early and often on the passing game. And they're going to alleviate some of that stress from the running backs as they lean on the, you know, Jerry Judy, as they lean on Sutton, as they lean on Dulcich. And in that scenario, it's going to get Russ cooking. And if it works, they're going to stick with it. Um, and so, if that's the, the narrative that, at least in my head, that I've played out, if it works out that way, then I could see a pretty big year for Russell Wilson.
1: I love, I love what you had to say, Billy. I'll say, like Billy, when we started doing this question in May, I was pounding the table for Cleveland. But the ADP prices have all moved up so much. There's really not like any bargains there. And Joku, Jerome Ford, all of those guys, Elijah Moore are all like ste- steaming up ADP wise. There's no cheap Browns. So for me, Detroit, even though they're priced up, I think there could be a number of ADP wins. Amon Ross St. Brown, I think can beat his ADP. I think he can finish as a top five wide receiver and have like a legendary season. I, I think Laporta is going to be very interesting. I like both running backs at ADP and I like Jared Goff at ADP. But I think that the offensive people are sleeping on a little bit is the New York Giants. I think that, that that one, like Saquon Barkley can return big value at ADP, especially for the people that got him during the dip. I think Darren Waller is going to come back and potentially have a top three tight end season. And I think Daniel Jones is like, the for me, is the last drafted quarterback that can finish as a top five quarterback based on his rushing ability. And I like betting on Brian Dable in year two to open things up. I know that there's like a lot of jokes right now about the wide receivers and how they're all slot (laughs) wide receivers, but he did go out and get his guys. They went and got Jalen Hyatt. They got Paris Campbell they got Cole Beasley and I don't know if these guys are going to do anything fantasy wise but I think stylistically they're their first down makers and I think that offense is going to going to move up and down the field and I think Jones is a sneaky bet to get like 850 yards rushing and just have that that big special season. So uh that's that's a that's a really fun one. Any any thoughts on the Giants guys? Yeah, of the 15 wide receivers, which one are you picking? <laughs> I will go with wide receiver Darren Waller being lined up all over the field. I will I will I will go with the tight end Billy. I mean, honestly, the one that I like drafting, um I mean, a Hodgins, and then I like taking shots on Paris Campbell in the 18th round of best balls. Yeah. Just because I think they're going to get him the ball in interesting ways. They seem to like him. Um he could be a little bit more of a gimmick player, but mm-hmm. I do think he he showed a little bit last year and obviously they went out and got him. And I think based on his career uh having such ups and downs in terms of the injuries, I think He signed with the Giants for a reason. Um, I think that there's the opportunity was presented to him, and he could potentially run with it. Again, his ceiling might be like wide receiver thirty, but I think he'll beat his ADP. Real quick, Sean, honest question: Do you have all
3: fifteen wide receiver spots on your projection sheet? Because I don't.
2: (laughs) Wait, there's only who they cut to get down to fifteen? Did they cut like thirty guys? Because I have like fifty. No, my season long one. My season long one. I do have a cutoff. Yeah. But my preseason <laughs> projection sheet will have every single wide receiver. So, wow. Um, yeah, idea. but at, as of now, yeah, it's a juggling act. You know, which one of these guys is going to make the team? Yeah, half a percent here, one percent here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have any of these guys in my top 80, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. it's so we need some clarity to kind of narrow these down. So it's it's a mess. This is my least favorite team to project right now.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, where do you even like, it's like this guy gets 4%, this guy gets 3%, this guy right. gets five and a half. Does this guy get five or does he get that's four insane. and a half?
0: <laughs> I agree.
2: It's all Darren Waller anyway. Let's yeah, Waller, it. man.
1: Just draft Waller. That's yep. Muzio's yep. guys too. Sean and Billy are both signing off on him. Should probably think about drafting him. Guys, I, one other question that Billy and I have been asking pretty much every guest that's come on is if there was one player that you could know the final stats for of anyone in football, who would it be? Is there one player that maybe his season opens up others to have big years or his failure opens up others? Mm -hmm. This is a wide question, Sean, but maybe one player that gives you a lot of trouble or somebody you're just super intrigued with right now.
2: I'm going to have to go with Anthony Richardson. Um, I would love to know his final stat line because – He's part of my draft strategy where if I if I miss out on a top seven, top eight QB, um, I might just punt altogether and take a flyer on him. Uh, so it'd be nice to know, like, does he start over 14 games? Like, how good is he? Uh, and then, you know, I would attack every single player prop, player future market with that information. But also, like, it, it's such a wide range of outcomes, whether he's under center or, gar- or Gardner Minshew is. Um, I'd be much more interested in a guy like Michael Pittman if I knew – Gardner Minshew starts, say, 10-plus games. Um, So there is a ripple effect with that. But I think just knowing Anthony Richardson's final line will help my QB strategy. Like, should I just punt it all together and take him because he's going to have a top-five type season? Or should I just really attack quarterback early and not bank on a guy like him? Because this is a season where you know normally I'm okay punting quarterback and streaming it, but this is the year where I definitely want you know an elite quarterback. So one of the top seven guys, so I think he would be the guy um, I would like to know his final stat line the most. I
1: love that Sean went full Biff Tannen on this question. You're the first person that's gone with the Back to the Future two reference oh. where you would bet the hell out of it. That's the that's the right to, answer, Sean. Make some money on this simple on this one. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely, man. Um, Billy. My, my answer has been Deshaun Watson continually because of how, how highly the the Browns are pushed up. Um, and also Deshaun Watson himself, we've seen so much fantasy success. We saw the big step back last year. I think he's like a polarizing player at ADP. Certainly for me, I've drafted him, but I think that if I knew that he was going to go back to, to older Deshaun Watson, then he's like the perfect like wait for quarterback strategy. Um, and then if he's going to play like he did last year, I don't want to draft any of these receivers. So Watson is my answer. Billy, I know you've provided a few guys that, that uh, in, you know, because we've asked this question so many times together, you're <laughs> mixing it up a little bit. Give me another guy that you're thinking about.
3: Yeah, I have mixed it up a lot. I'm going to mix it up again today. Um, my traditional answer is usually is Tony, but we're now starting oh, to get clarity. That's on that really situation, but if uh, <laughs> him already injured now and we saw the, the news report saying they're hope he's ready week one, I think we can expect pretty much the same out of Kader's Tony now. So I think we're getting a little bit of clarity in that situation. Um, and we're seeing the ADPs of Skymore and Rice kind of on on the rise now. Um, the next one, just to, to add some 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 change into the mix here, would probably be Tua um we mentioned mm-hmm. him at the top of the hour just just because he has been so you know injury prone I should just say concussion prone and and he has yet to play over 13 games in his career this offense is going to look completely different with him and off the field and so I want to know what that looks like um and what we can project for these wide receivers we're expecting these both these receivers to be both inside the top 12 at the position uh really and and if if Tua two misses Half the season. I don't know if we can accurately say that that's that will, what that is what will happen.
1: I believe that Waddle and Hill were a combined 190 yards per game in games that Tua played with them. So it was it's very it's a very significant uh, factor. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to kind of keep this going and stick at the quarterback position, Sean. We're going to get back to those like the Anthony Richardson tier in a moment, but first I want to take a look at the very top mm-hmm. in FFPC. You know you're seeing the big three quarterbacks getting steamed way up. All of them are being drafted in the first three rounds. And now you're starting to see a big four with Lamar Jackson. He's being drafted like maybe four or five spots behind usual quarterback three, Josh Allen, right now. So really it's a big four. And I think a month from now, it's truly going to be a big four. Is this the correct way for drafters to be going about it this year? Do you think that this is a overcorrection or do you think this is the proper way to value these, the elite quarterback tier this year?
2: Um, sure. I don't think so because, uh, well, I think that, yeah, targeting Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts makes a ton of sense. Um, I really do consider them in a tier of their own. Uh, I, I think Lamar is part of the tier two with Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, another really good tier to attack in your drafts. But, you know, I, I think that he, he's going to have the best supporting cast he's ever seen. Um, a pass heavier offense under Todd Munkin, but we might not see the same rushing upside. So he doesn't have the same upside as a Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts in that sense. So I, I consider him more of the the tier two group. Um, so I, I wouldn't be drafting him close to a guy like you know Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts.
1: And Billy, where are you at right now? I know that Billy, you, you kind of seem to have a very open strategy with the way you attack quarterback. Where I think when when you see an edge being the the early quarterback, you dive yes. into it. But Billy, you're also dumpster dive all the way down to the gross... quarterbacks yes, sometimes. I will start Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter and oh,
3: yeah. I don't care. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I am a firm believer in finding value at the position. Uh, every single year, we see quarterbacks finish inside the top 10 at the position that are being drafted outside the top 15. Geno Smith last year, Justin Fields last year. So I'm a firm believer in finding the value there. And if it hits, it really hits. If you miss, it really misses. And so I'm a little bit more risk tolerant than the average person. And uh, I gamble a lot in these scenarios. But I try to build rosters and lineups that are, you know, that top 1% or top 3% that when it hits, it's going to be very hard to stop. Um, That being said, I completely agree with Sean. that These are are different tiers. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen hurts clearly in a tier of their own. Um, And then for me, that Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson tier is all separated by three and a half fantasy points in my projections. (laughs) Um, Every single time I do an update, these three actually swap. Uh, It just depends upon the supporting cast and what's happening there. Um, as of today uh you know july 26 2023 justin herbert sits at number four in the projections for me so he leads this tier of joe burrow and lamar jackson the last week joe burrow was up there because that's separated by one and a half fantasy points and so every time i make a tweak it adjusts but herbert seems to have taken a, a probably the largest lead of these three in my projections as of late uh simply due to the volume of the passing offense and the addition of kellen moore
1: uh, guys, so for, for me, it's you know I always go back to what Dan Williamson, uh, one of my co-hosts at the Goat District, always said. Dan's one of the best FFPC drafters around, and he always likes diving into quarterback when he feels the edge is gone at the other positions. And for me this year, I found myself mm. in that in that Justin Herbert fields and then sometimes Trevor Lawrence tier, where I feel like those guys mm. have have been like that kind of like the edge pick for me. And I will say what's interesting is we see the gravitational pull of Lamar Jackson going up to the, to the big three. I think Joe Burrow is starting to become a little bit of a value when you're getting him like 10 spots below Lamar. So I have, I have drafted some Joe Burrow, but I I just don't see myself doing it too much guys, especially in the higher stakes ones where you have to use that sort of draft capital on Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, Jalen hurts. I just feel like you're trying to thread the needle. Best ball is a different, different animal. But I, I agree with Sean. I think that it's it, the edge is kind of lost when you're sacrificing like a second round pick to get one of these mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Um, let's stay at the quarterback position here, Sean. You discussed Anthony Richardson and another quarterback that you're bullish on is Geno Smith. When you miss out on the big eight, these guys yeah. are targets of yours. Maybe talk about that as a draft strategy.
2: Yeah, so again, like, who would love a top seven quarterback? Um, but I, I agree with Billy. Like, I have no problem punting the position. And if we're talking like a twelve-team one QB league, I have no problem streaming quarterbacks. So I love the f- the idea of starting with Geno Smith. Like, you know, he was a huge surprise last year. I think he will repeat this year. Uh, I mean, Seattle went all in on him. They signed him a three-year deal. Uh, they didn't draft a rookie quarterback, and they added you know, the top receiver draft in the class in Jackson Smith, the Jigba. So I, I'm bullish on Gino. He's my QB 11. But the most important thing is the early schedule is really easy for him. His first four games are against bottom uh, 10 uh, pass defenses and the Rams, Lions, Panthers, and Giants. So that's the type of quarterback that I would target um, at the end of the draft because he has an easy start to the schedule. And if he struggles, You drop him, you pick up somebody else, like a Geno Smith this year. So um, if I punt at quarterback, he's usually the first guy I look for. And then Anthony Richardson's a guy I would take a flyer on, maybe stash on my bench uh, just for his upside. But Geno Smith is part of my strategy if I miss out on a top seven, top eight QB.
1: Yeah, I love him. I love him. I think that, like, I took him, uh, Billy, I took him in our draft uh, with the GOAT district for crossover week. Uh, where I was able to actually double tap Daniel Jones and Geno Smith, nice. but in like the 13th and 14th round of an FFPC mm-hmm. draft, and I think that that's a that's a great way of going about it. But Geno Smith, I mean, he's got big big touchdown upside. I think the Jackson Smith and Jigba edition. Billy and I uh, differ a little bit on where we see him, mm-hmm. but Billy, you'll agree that stylistically, it really really helps Geno a lot. Um, Hold on, um, Sean. I'm, Sean, we have a bet here.
3: Okay, here, a we bet. here we go.
1: Here every, we go. And wow. every
3: we ask every single guest which side of which side of the bet you on. So well, I set the line at wide receiver thirty six. Is JSN wide receiver thirty six or better, or wide receiver thirty
2: six uh, or worse? Oh, outside, worse. Yes.
1: Pay over, it now. Pay it now. <laughs> we're we're hearing a lot. Of, we're hearing a lot of differing uh, oh, well. differing opinions on this one, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> guys, you know, I mean, it's Billy's money, and we're gonna end up splitting a team with it. The one person's gonna pay for it, so it's uh, it's we're gonna end up turning that 350 into like a million, Billy. So, uh, <laughs> man, there's. Good either uh, way.
3: I mean, Sean, Sean's a pretty accurate dude when it comes. You to guys, are, you guys, and and listen. And, uh, I'm going.
1: There's a lot of sharp money uh against me on this. Nelson Sousa, who was our guest, one of the best uh, drafters in the country. Dave Hubbard. There's a few, Billy, that are, that are, you know, it's Theo against everybody right now in the Jackson Smith uh, in Jigba Streets, but I just believe in the talent. I believe that the talent rises. Uh, Billy, I want to pick your brain, though, on the Gino. Is Gino part of your draft strategy right now? you can do a lot of stacks with
3: Seattle and especially week 17 correlation. When you look at uh, their their schedule, I like the early schedule, like Sean mentioned, but I also like the late schedule. They get Tennessee in week 16 and they get Pittsburgh in week 17. Uh, Both these offenses, you can stack pretty cheaply in drafts. Um, And so I like being able to take, you know, DK e. Metcalf or Lockett, you can mix in Walker, you can get your Geno Smith, and then you can add Deontay Johnson to the mess, Kenny Pickett to the to, to the mix and this. And so in this is not an offense that people are like really going after, at least, you know, like I mentioned earlier. It's one of those underrated offenses in my projections. And so I like the fact that you can take Seattle with a lot of these other complementary pieces in their shootout schedule pretty cheap.
1: Love it. Guys, I want to talk about the wide receiver position right now. We'll go back to it. Rookie wide receivers the last few years have provided incredible returns for us as redraft managers. You think about Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddell, Amon Ross St. Brown, especially the end of the year, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then Garrett Wilson last year. They all smashed their ADPs. This year, the enthusiasm for rookie wide receivers is lower. Like last year, we saw Drake London as like a sixth round pick down the summer. Now you you don't see any of these guys being drafted until around the eighth round. And I was in our our, our 350 the other night, Billy. We got Quentin Johnston in the ninth round. Zay Flowers went a pick later. So all four are going in like that eighth, ninth round right now. But there's one rookie wide receiver who you're pretty bullish on right now, Sean. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one?
2: Yeah, so just when it comes to these rookie wideouts, you know, a lot of these studs landed on a team where they're going to be the number three wide receiver. You know, we talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Quentin Johnson, like, when everybody's healthy, they're going to be the number three wideout. out. Um, so I think Jordan Addison probably landed in the best situation because, you know, clearly Justin Jefferson's the alpha in that offense, uh, and TJ Hawkinson will command his targets. But, you know, Addison will likely be the number two wide receiver, and this should still be a very pass-heavy, potent offense. So I just think Addison landed in the best spot. You know, he could do it all, you know, he will line up inside, outside. Um, so I think, you know, he's sort of inheriting the Adam Thielen role. So I think there's a path for him to be a wide receiver three, even if everyone's healthy. So he's of the, uh, the you know first round wide receivers, I'll call them. Um, Jordan Addison is definitely my favorite guy.
1: Billy, you're on the Addison train too. You know this Sean guy is pretty sharp, Theo. We seem to see
2: things. <laughs> somebody, like, somebody, I, should, somebody
1: should hire him to do rankings, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally it's this exact same thing I've been
3: saying on all of our podcasts. Like nice. I know you like JSN, but he's the wide receiver three in an offense that runs twelve personnel, right? Uh, Quentin Johnson is now the wide receiver three and arguably the number four target behind Gerald Everett. Addison is a pretty clear cut you know, number two in this offense. Um, and if this is an offense that also is probably top eight, top nine in total pass volume in the league as well. And so got to like the overall volume that Addison's going to see. Even if he does start off slow, we could expect to see him still close to at or near a hundred targets in his rookie campaign. And I think that that's not something that you can say about the other
1: receivers. I mean, if he simply gets the Adam Thielen treatment, I mean, he's going to absolutely smash, and and he could finish inside of wide receiver two land potentially. So I'm with you on Addison, but I do think that there's value to be had in all three. The contingent upside. I mean, we bring up the the the, you know, we talk about contingent upside this time of year, but all it takes is one injury, and and a number of these guys can smash. Mm-hmm. Um, like if one of the two wide receivers in Baltimore goes down, Zay Flowers is going to crush. If Keenan Allen or Mike Williams miss time, and for that matter, if Gerald Everett misses time, I think Quentin Johnson becomes a bigger thing. I love JSN. I do agree that JSN has the most target competition, but potentially Mm -hmm. the most talent. So I will say that, like, we saw all four of these guys go in the first round. We saw what NFL teams think of them. Um, and I think all of them are should, you know, potentially be part of your draft plan because Billy, like, a lot of the, the wide receivers being drafted after these rookies are potential dust and wasted picks whereas these four guys kind of give us at least a potential upside. So the only problem is that
3: we're now banking on an injury for these guys to be fantasy relevant or even productive because if they are the number three in their teams and you could even argue, like, for instance, you know Quinton Johnson, like I said, could be the four, could be the five because you have Eckler there as well. There's a lot of people ahead of him and a lot of distribution of targets that could be diversified elsewhere, even if someone went down. And then in the scenario for, you know, JSN, they also drafted a running back in round two. They're also a run-heavy team. They also run a lot of 12 personnel. So if they decide not to run 12 personnel, which is against their 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 kind of coaching scheme and package, um, then it would take an entire offensive shift. And it doesn't make sense for them to draft a running back in round two if they were going to stray away from 12 personnel as much as the fantasy community is hoping. You know, I think it's just the cold hard truth that people don't want to admit it is that Jason's probably more of a dynasty play than he is a 2023 play, and he's an exceptional talent. But I just don't know if 2023 is going to be the year that he shines. I don't worry about Noah
1: Fant and Will Disley messing with my <laughs> JSN guys, but
3: that hey, that's, Colby Parkinson,
2: though—that's yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely, guys. Um, guys, I want to keep it going though. Wide receiver wise, we touched on Calvin hmm. Ridley. And what's interesting is Billy and I, when when we first started out doing first-class fantasy, we talked about how Ridley was being drafted ahead of Kirk. We talked about mm-hmm. it with Mike Leone. I remember it, Billy. Mike was presenting a bull case for Ridley, and we were pushing back for Kirk. I actually thought it would get closer as we moved into the summer, and they'd both end up going like maybe wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 24. It's the opposite. Ridley is pacing him. There's a lot of beat reporters, a lot of enthusiasm on Ridley right now, but he's, I've seen him go at like the two twelve. Yeah, I've seen him ridiculous. living in the third round. And now Christian Kirk, who has had back-to-back successful seasons. Like people talk about last year where he was giving you top 15 wide receiver production. But the year before he finishes inside of wide receiver two land or right at it um, in Arizona, the guy's had back-to-back strong seasons. He's familiarity with the offense. He's kind of mm-hmm. getting pushed to the side. Sean, you think that's a mistake, don't you?
2: Yeah, you know, I do think that is a mistake. And I love Cal Ridley. Uh back in 2020, I bet on Ridley to lead the league in receiving yards at 100 to 1. Uh and it looked like he was going to do it, but he had that foot injury so he missed the past the the last couple of games. Uh and then like we said, you know, 2021, he dealt with injuries, the mental health thing, and then he was suspended last year. So it's been a long time since we've seen Ridley perform at a high level. So I think he has a wide range of outcomes in both scenarios, whether he, you know, hits the ground running like he looked in 2020 or he struggles, I think Christian Kirk's still going to ball out. So I have them ranked very close. Um, like when I'm projecting the Jaguars, they have a similar target share, um, you know, similar projections, maybe Ridley has a touch more upside um, in terms of touchdowns. But where you can get Christian Kirk right now, I think it's criminal. Uh, you know, he's sometimes he falls outside the top 30. Um, so I love getting Christian Kirk and he already has a ton of chemistry, with Trevor Lawrence. You know, Lawrence is gonna have to gain that chemistry with Ridley. So um yeah, I think I think the gap should be a lot tighter. So that's why I love getting Kirk.
3: Can you share your projections on these two? I'll yeah. share mine as you pull it up. I have Kirk at twenty-two percent target share, Ridley at twenty-one and a half, which would be his second highest of his career at 127 targets. I have Kirk at 1,062 yards which is at 12.5 yards for reception. And then I have Ridley at 918.4, which is 11.5, which is higher than what the algorithm kicked out. So I gave him a little bit of boost of efficiency there. Both about 6.6 touchdowns, 6.7, 6.6 there. Um, and inside of the projections or inside the rankings, I got Kirk that came in at wide receiver 26 and Ridley came in as wide receiver 33.
1: Billy, Billy, quick, quick question. Because
3: hold, hold on, hold on,
2: hold on. I, I, I want, to
1: hear what Sean has <coughs> Oh, sorry,
2: go <laughs> for it, Sean. Go for it. I'll make it. Real. I'll just give their final numbers. I have them both projected for seventy catches. Okay. I have Calvert-Lia at hundred eighty yards. Okay. I have Kirk at eight fifty, uh, okay. but I have really at six and a half touchdowns, and Kirk at five and a half. Okay. So we're really just talking about one touchdown of difference here. Yeah, <laughs> if you really what's the, break it down. what's the receiver numbers for you? Like, um, blah, 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 I have really. Uh, wide receiver 20, and Christian Kirk is my wide receiver 24. Okay, so you just have him
1: slightly in a tier higher than yeah. do. Interesting. Okay, great. Similar numbers, though. Yeah, yeah. Ridley has, I believe, one season over 1,000 yards, Billy, correct? One, yep. yeah. Yeah, and And Christian Kirk's given us And season over 900 at that too. You could even, you could round, the other ones you could round underneath 900. So the the, Christian Kirk over the last two seasons has given us a 982 yard season. And then an 1100 yard season last year. And he's, he had 133 targets last year, guys. So I think that the market is too low on him. I think Kirk is a value. And I also think that you're going to see more Ridley Lawrence stacks than you will Kirk Lawrence stacks. Uh, and I think that that's a, an edge, Billy, because I think if you're willing to take Ridley and in, in like the mid-third, you're more likely going to be a Lawrence drafter. Whereas Christian Kirk's kind of like found money, you can draft a, a Kirk a Kirk uh, Lawrence combination a lot more easily. So I think that's also a big factor, especially for tournament players. Want to pivot over to the running back position? Uh, Houston is an Actually, uh, we'll, we'll quit back. Actually, you know what? One more wide receiver I want to touch on okay. before we do that, because there is a, a wide receiver in Houston that you're a little bit bullish on here, Sean. And that's kind of a, it's not quite a Carolina situation where they're all getting pushed down. Uh, Nico Collins is clearly ahead of the others, but you seem to be bullish on him. Uh, Maybe talk about him and and why you like him.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of dumpster diving here. This is, there's been 55 receivers already taken. Uh, Who do you like? My guy's Nico Collins. Um, Just, there's a chance with Brandon Cook's out of town, Nico Collins will be the number one target in this offense. Um, You know, I think Dalton Schultz will certainly have a big target share, but I consider him just a guy. And, you know, a tight end like him could struggle in a new scheme, especially with the rookie quarterback. So um, I have some concerns about Schultz. Uh, But the reason I like Nico, I I like Nico as a third-round talent out of Michigan, uh, but he's been held back due to poor quarterback play. Last year, um, out of 103 qualified wide receivers, he had the second lowest – catchable ball rate. Um, And the main asset that CJ Stroud brings to the NFL would be his accuracy. So I think um, if Stroud can be as good as I think he can be in his rookie season, that's going to really help out Nico Collins. He's going to see more catchable balls. We'll see his numbers go up. And plus he's a big body receiver where I think he will be, you know, the main red zone target as well. So I think he has a ton of upside. You get him super cheap. Um, So again, I love Nico Collins once, you know, you get outside the top 55.
1: I'm going to go with also the like I think I'm usually right and last year was the aberration and I was drafting a ton of Nico this year so I'm right back to the well. <laughs> I have 26% <laughs> yeah. Nico Collins on underdog cuz I think Nico's like when we get down to that to that range Guys. on underdog I keep pounding the button. 26% Billy am I am I wrong?
3: No, I like Nico a lot as well. I have Maz wide receiver sixty. So Sean said after wide receiver fifty five, it's this right there in the range for me. Sure. Um, I think he's got a, a, a large range <laughs> of outcomes. Um, I like the body size. We talked earlier about you know rookie quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks leaning on the size. Uh, we can see that with Nico Collins. Um, I am going to throw one more name in the hat here, and that's John Mechie, uh, coming off of uh, you know a missed season mm-hmm. last year due to health, um, but. People forget he's a round two pick, um, was pretty steamed up going into the draft, and I think that uh, he could present himself to be a pretty big value inside of draft rooms this year. I
1: I, I love hearing about Nico. I love hearing Sean on Nico Collins. Makes my 26% feel good. <laughs> one one guy that, that's getting really beat up right now is Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, nobody wants to draft mm-hmm. New England wide receivers. Nobody really wants to draft anyone on New England except for Ramondre Stevenson. And Jaceki, you see like his low-end, tight-end, too. Do you think Juju is a value right now, Sean?
2: I, I think so. Now, no, he's not like my favorite wide receiver to target or anything. But uh, we saw his ADP take a bit of a hit because it, it really looked like, you know, the Patriots were going to sign DeAndre Hopkins. They were like even money in the betting market to sign him. So I I bumped Juju way down. But now that DeAndre Hopkins is signed with Tennessee, like we have to move Juju back up. So he's he's right in my, you know, wide receiver 40 range. So I think, you know, he's a value. Um, you know, last year, this offense was a joke. You know, they had Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, you know, trying to figure it out on the fly. Um, they have a much more competent coordinator and Bill O'Brien this year. I think it's going to be a better offense. And, you know, Juju could inherit that Jacoby Myers role. And so he going to get a ton of targets. So he doesn't have like a massive ceiling, but where he's being drafted, especially now that we have DeAndre Hopkins clarity, I think he's, he's offering some value.
1: Billy, anything to
3: add? Juju, man, his knee kind of scares me right now. I know he's still having some knee concerns, um, so that has me a little alarmed. Um, I, I like what Sean said earlier. I typically go with the cheaper option here, and they just paid Devontae Parker $33 million. I don't really like Devontae Parker as a player all that much, but... I you can't ignore the fact that they don't really have any other weapons in this offense, and the fact that they paid him thirty three million, which is still baffling me. Um, but it, it speaks to the the at least want to get him involved pretty heavily, and and I think that um, we can expect to see him on the field pretty 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 frequently that being said he's going in around like 18 and 19 at ffpc which is pretty much free um i don't mind juju i'll take some gambles on him but he's let me down in the past and i just don't know yeah even if he does take over that 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 role that Jacoby left behind i think Jacoby probably did that role a little bit better um and i'm just not sold on juju um as as a player anymore
1: i want to pivot over to the running back position guys um Right now, there's a ton of enthusiasm for Jameer Gibbs. He's a player that I love, um, but his ADP is steamed up so high now, Billy. You're starting to see Jameer Gibbs going off the board as like RB12, RB13, pretty much on all formats. Uh, there's another running back, though, Sean, that mm-hmm. you're very much into on on Detroit, uh, and that's David Montgomery. Are you into him because of his ADP, or do you think this is just a smash spot for David Montgomery?
2: Uh, all of the above, you know, his ADP dropping um, after the Lions drafted Gibbs makes a ton of sense. I mean, that was not good for David Montgomery's value. But, and I love Gibbs, I love his upside, but, you know, I think he's really going to inherit that DeAndre Swift role uh, w- with more touches. However, Gibbs, you know, he's just shy at 200 pounds, so he's unlikely to see a lot of the short yards, more importantly, goal line work. Um, even Alabama opted to use other backs. In um, goal line situations, so that's kind of a clear sign that I think Montgomery's going to inherit the Jamal Williams role, which we saw produce 17 rushing touchdowns last year, 45 uh, rush attempts inside the 10 yard line, which was 16 more than the next guy. Um, and Montgomery was very good in short yard situations last year. He actually ranked first in success rate in any you know down needing two yards or fewer. Uh, he ranked first in success rate. So. I think that, you know, even if Gibbs were to be healthy, I think Montgomery uh, will hit at ADP. But, you know, if if Gibbs were to miss any time, I mean, Monty's a surefire RB1, in my opinion, because he's a better pass catcher than Jamal Williams. So I think he has a ton of upside in this offense, and he should see a lot of touchdowns. So love getting him at ADP right now.
1: And I'll say, Billy, I think that Detroit can support two running backs inside mm-hmm. of the top 24. I think they, they, yep. at the end of the year... Gibbs is going to catch a ton of passes. Montgomery is going to run for a lot of touchdowns and Montgomery actually had his highest yards per reception last year. So he can do a little more than Jamal can, I think as a receiver. So Billy, where are you out on David Montgomery? Are you smashing the button when he's sitting there in the seventh round of redraft right now? This is my answer. There Why you go. Not? Why not both?
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, oh, I, go. <laughs> I I love um, both these backs, and I think that you could make a real case to just take both of them, especially in redraft leagues, uh, because they're both going to be heavily involved. Jamison Williams suspended the first six weeks, opened up a lot of opportunity for both these backs to be involved in the passing game. Uh, they have one of the best offensive lines in football. We know that we're going to see success on the ground, um, and we can expect to see them you know, both heavily used in the red zone uh, as they have different packages. Montgomery, again, one of those players that is always kind of undervalued uh, and has the ability to catch the ball and run between the tackles. And so, I think that he adds a a, a good element to this backfield with the upside of Jameer Gibbs. Um, I do think both of them will finish inside the top twenty-four at the position, and you can take them both inside drafts and just lock it in.
1: I love it, guys. One other running back that you're very high on, Sean, and it's a back that Billy's also into, mm-hmm. is Miles Sanders. Sanders uh, was an ADP crusher last year, uh, was one of those guys that drafters were like, whatever, I'll take him here at ADP, and he ends up giving yeah. you a top 15 running back production, uh, especially on the strength of his, his touchdown runs for that Philadelphia offense. Now he gets to Carolina. They're talking about using him like he was as a rookie, when he had 50 plus catches. Um, What are your thoughts on Sanders and his value at ADP?
2: Yeah. So this is, people call it the dead zone at running backs. I call it the frozen pond here. Same thing. But, you know, there's concerns about every guy in this range. And, you know, Miles Sanders, I I think in terms of efficiency, obviously um, he's going to be worse in this offense. I mean, he averaged 4.9 yards per rush attempt last season, playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. Teams had to worry about Jalen Hurts running the ball. So I'm projecting him closer to 4.3 yards per carry uh, this year. Uh, but the overall volume should go up and kind of, you know, even things out. So they, they didn't sign him four years for $25 million to be in some sort of muddling committee. So I think when it comes to Sanders, he's the guy I'm most confident in, and at least his workload um, in, in this range. And like you said, like they, they intend on using him as a pass catcher as well. Um, And he has less competition for touches once they do get in the red zone. So um, I I don't think he's like the sexiest play ever, but where he's going in this range, I'm just going for high floor. And I think he does provide that.
1: And Billy, before you answer this, you were drafting a ton of him earlier on. Now you've seen the ADP creep up. How high are you willing to draft Sanders? Uh, I'll chase it a little bit further up. Uh, I just have,
3: so many shares at a discount because I I liked the fact that he was going to a new team where they weren't going to um, be running the ball like Jalen Hurts did, and so we saw that dip inside Miles Sanders's production in the passing game the same year that Jalen Hurts took over as the quarterback, um, and he just because he doesn't check down a lot. Um, and we yeah. know Miles Sanders had 50 receptions as a rookie. You add in a rushing quarterback, of course, those check downs are going to go away. Now you get a rookie quarterback who's going to be inserted into this offense. And what do rookie quarterbacks do? They check down. They 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 target the tight end. They target the slot. And so I think that we can see those uh, touches in the passing game for Miles Sanders boost you know significantly more. I also had given him a pretty you know dis- discounted yards per carry, not quite 4.3, but I gave him 4.4. <laughs> So I was nice. right there but you know when the algorithm kicked out at 5.07 I'm like no not with the Panthers um, right and so um, but he makes up for that in the passing game pretty clearly here uh, as, as a back here that's going to be utilized um, where he hadn't seen that the past three years so love Miles Sanders and the team love him as a player I think he's a dynamic player overall I'm actually excited to see what type of workload he gets in 2023 because um, there's a scenario where you could say that he's going to be um, you know a top 15 back. Um, I don't have him ranked as such, but um, you could definitely see it be that scenario.
1: I think that's one thing, you know, Sean talked about the the frozen pond, or we'll talk about the dead zone or whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Like, like, this year, you've got to kind of adjust because the dead zone starts later, and there's values to be had, and your opportunity mm-hmm. cost has gone down for drafting these guys, Billy. Instead of having to use a third rounder on Miles Sanders, like, if we were drafting 10 years ago and Miles Sanders had double digit touchdowns and he got this big contract and he was running back 15, he'd be getting drafted a lot higher than this. Yeah. Now you're able to get him in like the fifth and sixth round. So we have a number of intriguing backs that have gotten pushed down here to like this five-six turn. Who are you most into, Sean? Between JK Dobbins, Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders, and Cam Akers. These guys go RB18, 19, 19. 20 and 21. they're all right in the same range in pretty much any format you draft uh this is yeah. their underdog adp
2: uh miles sanders for sure for all the reasons i already mentioned i just th- i'm more confident in his overall volume than the other guys i mean all these guys have concerns but i think miles sanders has the fewest um and if you're drafting this range maybe you took Kelsey early you you know took receivers i think it's critical to, to invest in the higher floor and i think sanders uh, provides that.
1: Who is the worst pick of these four?
2: Uh, For me, it's J.K. Dobbins, um, just because this will be, you know, more pass-heavy offense. I I guess they're getting rid of the fullback. They won't use the fullback as much. So um, I I don't know if we could bank on J.K., you know, averaging five-plus yards a carry or anything like that. Um, So the volume's a concern. You know, they just signed Melvin Gordon, which could make it more of a three-way committee. Uh, You know, Dobbins is already dealing with soft tissue injuries heading into camp. Um, so you know out of these guys I think Dobbins probably has the lowest floor so he's he's the guy I'm probably the most concerned about.
1: Pour one out for for Patrick Ricard fans <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like seriously. watching him do his thing <laughs> under Greg Roman that age has ended in Baltimore. Billy who is your least favorite and favorite of these four guys?
3: Agree on the favorite Madison I mean sorry Sanders for everything we just mentioned mm-hmm. the the least favorite is Madison I I just think he doesn't belong in this tier. I don't think that we're going to see him take the Lions, or he's going to take the the Lions share of this backfield, but I don't think it's going to, I think he's going to be on a short leash, and I don't think that he's going to see the amount of touches that Dalvin Cook saw. So I would not be surprised to see Uh, You know, Dwayne McBride in the mix, Ty Chandler, we could even see Ken Nwongu probably going to get mixed in as well. I think they're going to take a little bit more of a hot hand approach in this backfield um, rather than just sticking with one back like we saw them do with Cook. And there's also the scenario in which Dalvin Cook actually returns because he still has a $7 million offer on the table from them (laughs) to return. So that's something that we need to consider as well. Uh, For me... It's a uh, in the middle here. I I like Dobbins a little bit more than Deshaun does probably, uh, because I think even in a limited capacity we can see him do you know big runs. He was number three in breakaway run rate as uh, last year, even in that limited capacity at ten point nine percent. So he does have the ability to take it to the house, and we saw him even you know down the stretch running down the sidelines with that hobbled knee, and he still looked explosive, even though we had that that hitch in his step. And so I think if he's able to you know, get past that injury, I think um, he could have a pretty big season because the rushing quarterback's going to open up lanes.
1: I've loved drafted, drafting Cam Akers in the sixth round when he's there. I think that he's got like a nice combination of kind of upside. I think his usage could go way up. Um, and I love the way he finished out the year last year. Uh, he kind of survived. We thought he would get cut. We thought he would get traded. And lo and behold, he ends up back in everybody's lineups and crushing it. So I'm into him. I'm with Billy. I'm fading Alexander Madison. Also, because Madison's kind of gotten pushed up a little bit here, Billy, where, you know, you're not getting sixth round Madison. He's going to live in that fifth round, and, and I'm out at that price. Um, Want to keep this going, guys. I want to dr- jump into Chicago. We've got an ambiguous backfield here. None of these dr- running backs are getting drafted, even in the RB3 land. Khalil Herbert has seen his ADP drop since the NFL draft when Chicago used their fourth-round pick on Roshan Johnson. Both of those guys go significantly ahead of Deonta Foreman. There's a lot of indecision in Chicago. Sean, you brought up that this is mm-hmm. this year's Philadelphia. Which running back are you betting on at ADP?
2: I mean, if, if we're just betting on talent, uh, I'll take Khalil, Khalil Herbert. Um, you know, he was second out of 59 running backs in my expected yards per carry model last year. He he was first in next-gen stats yards over expected per attempt. He's just a very good runner. And he's filled in for Montgomery in the past. Um, you know, the past two seasons, uh, Monty missed five games. And, you know, Herbert was the RB 18 in points per game um, it, when he was a spot starter. So while this is potentially a two- to three-way murky running back by committee, I don't think You know, any one of these guys should be in the top 35. He is going in a range where you're typically drafting backs that need an injury to be an RB2. He doesn't have that. You you know, he could just be really good and provide RB2 value. Um, If one of these backs does get hurt, you know, he has that contingency upside. But he just has the clearest path to RB2 value once you get outside of the top 35 based on talent alone. So he's the guy that out of these three, I'm betting on talent. I I love Khalil Herbert where he's going.
1: I I think I'm with you. Khalil Herbert, um, you know, Matt and Billy kind of got into this a little bit. (laughs) Matt's a little bit on more on Roshan and I, I like Roshan as well. Like, I think if you asked me this (laughs) like a two months ago, I would have thought Khalil Herbert would have gotten drafted closer to RB 30. And then you'd get Roshan kind of a little lower than where he is, but it's converged so much, probably partly because of player profiler, uh, Billy, but, uh, I'm on, I I think Khalil Herbert at RB (laughs) 40, I cannot lose at that price. Um, where are you at, Billy? Uh,
3: you know, I've been on the Herbert train here. Uh, Matt and I have had some uh, disagreements on on the rankings with these two. Yeah, golf clap. There we go. We got uh, <laughs> Her- Herbert was underrated. I, I I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe he was like top seven in the league in rushing through the first like six weeks. Um, and if we look at his his you know just fantasy out, out output in the first eight weeks of the season, he was RB twenty and and so he's being drafted well outside of this range. Um, people look at this backfield and think it's very ambiguous. I think it's pretty clearly Herbert as the number one and in the running back uh, backfield. I think Roshan is battling with Foreman for the RB2 spot and that yeah. Herbert has secured the the RB1 spot. The only thing I would say is that uh, one of these guys is Roshan or Herbert's going to have to step up as the pass catching back um, because Dante Foreman, that part of his game is just non-existent. Yeah. Um, and so that's the part I'm looking forward to seeing most in camp is who's going to take on that pass catching role. Um, Herbert was a liability in pass protection last year. Um, and so that's, I think, if Roshan has a chance, it's going to be in 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 third downs and in pass protection and getting the ball through the air, where I think Herbert is pretty clearly the number
1: one on the ground. Guys, I want to, quick, we're, we're at an hour 20 here, so we're, we're chugging along. But I, before we finish out, I want to touch on the tight end position. Uh, tight end is a very... predictable position right now, especially for FFPC drafters. You see Travis Kelsey going off the board in the first round. Mark Andrews goes off the board in the second round. TJ Hawkinson's gone by mid-third. And then you see George Kittle and Kyle Pitts drafted somewhere next to each other in the fourth round. Darren Waller and Dallas Goddard go in the fifth. So, like, those guys are clearly the upper echelon tight ends right now, and we kind of know where they're going. Where where should, is is there anything that stands out to you, Sean? Like this guy should not be getting drafted here. Maybe the one you're least into at ADP.
2: Um, no, not really. I mean, it, it's pretty in line with my rankings. Like you said, it's pretty predictable. Um, I think out of those the top five or six, it'd be Dallas Goddard, um, just because you know he's the number three option and and a pretty run heavy offense. So I think he he has the lowest floor of those guys, but. Uh, You know, love getting Travis Kelsey in the first round, Um, you know, love getting Andrews if I don't get him, you know, later on, love TJ Hawkinson, number three, like all these guys make sense. It's just Dallas Goddard's the one guy that I do have ranked a little bit lower, uh, just because he has more competition for targets, less stable Uh, production. But yeah, like tight end position. I love getting Kelsey first in the first round because then I get to just forget about it. Uh, It's a very tricky position in terms of draft strategy. But uh, no, I'm I'm in agreement with everybody, but uh, Goddard.
1: Billy, anybody stand out to you right now as, as kind of egregiously priced or is it about right? So, Sean says
3: it's uh, pretty in line. He says that until week one, and we see somebody like uh, John Oo Smith and Will Disley <laughs> catch two touchdowns and finish as like tight end yeah. one and two for the week, as all of us rankers drive ourselves crazy and pull our hair out. <laughs> as that's what the tight end position was last year, it was just yeah. uh, this random shit show, and you never knew it was going to happen. And the correct answer was pick a Detroit tight end, but you never know which one it was going to be because <laughs> it was always rotating. Um, I agree. I think Goddard at at cost right now is going a little expensive, just because uh, he's the clear number three in this offense. Maybe even before on a week to week basis with Swift now in the mix. Ooh, yeah. Um, and so it's it's something that we have to consider. And the other one um, who's going around the same range for me is Kyle Pitts. And it just breaks down to the amount of volume inside of the passing game here. Uh, Atlanta, in my projections, is going to be the lowest volume pass attempt offense in the league. They added B. John Robinson. They still have Drake London. I've been saying this for since the draft, Theo, is that something has to give. We can't have a wide receiver who's going to be inside the top 20. We can't have a tight end inside the top five. We can't have an RB as number two. Uh, People are thinking he's going to stick 70 and 80 catches, which is not going to happen in this (laughs) offense. Um, And so something has to give unless Desmond Ritter just – comes out of nowhere and significantly outperforms expectations and any model that we had built on his, his, his successor, I should say his, his opportunity from last year. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be under underneath 500 attempts and it's going to be very hard to support three players going, you know, as number one or two at the position, um, you know, as a wide receiver, one or two, I should say, or tight, you know, tight end five, and and running back two, right now off the draft boards. It's it's just a tricky situation. I think Pitts um, is is going to probably not live up to those expectations.
1: Yeah. So, the, like Goddard, you're you're absolutely right. Goddard's the one where it would be a very tough bet that he would even be second on the team in, in targets. Like, it's not going to happen. The other guys, you you see a path for for all of them. Um, I will say, Kyle Pitts, though, it's pushback back, Billy. Potentially, he's getting more downfield looks if he comes back from injury, and there could be some consolidation, so I'm not completely out. I'm not, I don't think I'm completely out on any of these guys, but where, what happens is when we get out of this this tier, there's a little bit less clarity. It seems like you know, we had the, the negative uh, news for Chig Akonkwo, a guy that Billy and I were high on. Uh, we have, obviously, some, some uh, target competition for guys like Dalton Kincaid, uh, but there's two tight ends that you're into, Sean, at ADP. And that's Tyler Higby and Greg Dulcich. Yeah. Uh, these are guys Billy and I have discussed for a while. I know these are targets of Billy's as well. And they're hard not to <laughs> like it. at ADP. I mean, Higby's, Higby's tight end 15 yes. right now on underdog. He had 108 targets last year. How high <laughs> do you have Higby, Sean? I have him
2: really high. Uh, I have him tight end 11, but I'm really like, my raw projections are like through the roof with him. Yeah. Um. So if I really let it fly, I mean, he might be in my top eight. If i he's, he's
3: number eight for me. <laughs> oh
2: <shit>. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying like if if I literally if I let it rip, uh, because he he is clearly the number two target in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. God are the days of you know uh, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods as mm-hmm. the the wide receiver trio. Now it's Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, and I think Tutu Atwell. Um, so it's, you know, Higby's just soaking up all those non Cooper cup targets, in my model. Uh, and his ADP is creeping up. I think it's like maybe tight end 13 now, but it's still too low. So I think yeah. if, if I don't land one, one of the top six tight ends, I have no problem punting and getting Tyler Higby where he is right now is just a steal. So yeah, like I could see how you can get him at tight end eight.
3: Yeah, I, I let it fly. I Like, like I said earlier, <laughs> at the top of the hour, I'm a little bit more risk tolerant than the average person. Yeah. Um, it shows my rankings as well. You know, that's why I'll finish week, uh, like number one, one week, and then number like 60 the following <laughs> week. It's because I, yeah. I take a lot of calculated risks. And Love it. Um, if you look at just the, the game log from Tyler Higby, people will say, Oh, well, he saw a lot of targets when Cooper Cup went down. It's like, no, well, he saw a lot of targets when Cooper Cup was active as well. Yeah. And even more in the beginning of the year. Um, and so uh, I love Tyler Higby this year. Clear number two for me as well. Um, the argument now begins at number three if it's Van Jefferson or if it's going to be any right. of the other receivers, a Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua. But there's not a lot of competition for targets, and it's not like anyone in this backfield is also a target hog either. And so Higby to me pretty clearly the number two option, and I love where he's been going. It's 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 my most owned
2: tight end, and my number two is nice. actually Dulcich. So I love to hear you oh. say that as well. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> he's gonna play I, that Joker role.
2: Yeah. No, I love Dulcich. I I loved him heading into last year. And, I mean, he missed, I think, like most of training camp the entire preseason. Wasn't able to even suit up until week six. And he's still crushed, uh, despite Russ Wilson's struggles. I mean, uh, Dulcich, 16 of his 55 targets last year, run catchable. So if Russ Wilson, you know, bounces back this season, he's going to be even better. So those are my two favorite tight ends, um, you know, if I miss out on a top six or seven tight end early.
1: You had to have loved... I mean, we don't want to get too hyped about Dulcich because we're going to move his ADP here, guys. But Sean Payton literally put him in the same sentence as Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, and Alvin Kamara and said, (laughs) he's our joker. And he goes... He said that that he can line him up and find uh, advantageous matchups. And he said... The joker player for us is not a receiver. It's either a running back or tight end with exceptional ball skills, and then you work matchups. And then he talked about all those guys, and he said, those were all unique players, not just in the running game, but they had passing game skill sets that allowed you to do multiple things. And I think Greg does too. So it's wow. like, what are you doing, Sean Payton? And last time, the time last time Sean Payton told us to draft somebody, essentially, it was Michael Thomas, his his uh, rookie <laughs> season. So we have to listen. Some guys lie, but Sean Payton, when he's hyping a guy up, um, he it usually delivers. So I'm wow. with you. Both those guys are great values. Uh, guys, we're at we're at a buck thirty here. Sean, you were awesome. This was awesome getting a chance to pod with you. Big shout out to the Podfather for having yes. Billy and I fill in for his shoes today. This was really, really a lot of fun and truly an honor. I'll let everybody know where they can find you and your awesome work.
2: Uh, so you can find all my work at actionnetwork.com. We also have our free app. Um, you know, I do it all like fantasy football content, sports betting content. I'm still attacking baseball as we speak. Uh, but yeah, you can find all my work at actionnetwork.com and check out our podcast uh, with me and Chris Raybon, the Fantasy Flex. Uh, but everything's at actionnetwork.com.
1: Awesome. And then Billy Muzio, you recorded press coverage yesterday. Mm-hmm. Where I believe you were you, was it a co hosting thing or did you take the guest? guest seat and Maddie Kiwum went for it or I took
3: the guest seat Maddie Kiwum took the host reins and I had him host the Dominators I was drafting in the FFPC pros versus Joes so that way I could focus on the draft so we had two recordings this week this is my last of the week I get to enjoy the weekend I'm gonna go nice. float the river uh you know nice. drink some wine with the wife and and have fun with the kids this weekend uh and then you know tidy up some of the rankings because there's been a lot of moving pieces this week
1: that's awesome. And, uh, yes, yeah, stay tuned for that episode of press coverage. It's dropping in about 20 minutes here right on, Roto, uh, on player profiler YouTube. Um, and then, yeah, you can look for the Podfather is going to be appearing tonight on the Dynasty Roundtable. Matt's also going to be appearing on Trade Gods. That's going to be very cool to see. I'm going to be hosting the Dominator for Billy later this week with Mike Schopp and Adam Krautwurst of The Deep End. And then we have a Sonic Truth special uh, tomorrow Uh, tune in and you're going to see Alan Sislowski of Rotowire hosting the Sonic Truth special not with Matt and I but with Jax Falcone of the Undrafted and Memphis Young of the Dynasty Warzone two of the best Dynasty minds out there period all chopping it up that's going to be awesome and then even more goodness tonight Billy Muzio and I are drafting a live first class fantasy uh, $125 best ball draft I think we might win $200,000 Two hundred thousand dollars right before your eyes tonight, Billy. Man, that um, last team that we draft is going to be hard to beat. We're the it's gonna only. It's going to be We're hard. the only Jamar Chase and Garrett Wilson
3: team in the tournament.
1: Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong. We have Chris Olave in the third round there, so we, we have, do. Yeah, and Joe we have, Burrow came back yeah. at the end of the fourth. Yeah. We ran pure. We Jeez. ran pure, but but this tonight's, tonight's, <laughs> Theo, done tonight's Theo and Billy are going to run pure as well. That's not going to be on live. Billy and I are not doing that. We're not going to have to, like, let, we're going to talk openly. Yeah, you snipers and get the hell out of here. You guys, you guys can forget it. You're not going to be able <laughs> to snipe us, but we'll show that at our regular time uh, Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Uh, when we're usually uh, dropping our first-class fantasy. So this was tremendous, and everybody have a wonderful rest of your day. But I'm about to go full father here uh, for crossover week, so go ahead and hit it, Billy.
0: And now, our guest on Mind the Mansion, one of the world's greatest rankers. And I, I talked on a podcast,, I went, hey, if you can contribute to what we're doing, we'd love to have you in it's sort of limited capacity or full capacity, whatever it is, we'll figure something out. And so he reached out and he was like, yeah, I mean, I, I you know I have a, another marketing gig, but I'd love to help you with marketing. I have a lot of ideas. and so I was like, yeah, sure. And it's, so he's been great and you know he had thoughts about hey maybe this is something we can add to the mission and purpose document that i think would resonate but also we have people that are coming on board that don't know player profile like there's a great new kid that i talked to he's in high school and he's helping us with our social media graphics and you know god bless him he didn't really know much about player profiler or the podcast And it was just disorienting because normally I kick off these calls and I'm like, hey, yeah, so how did you hear, hear about us? What was the first show? What do you, what do you remember? People are like, oh, I remember you and Nate and, you know, Jonathan Taylor and something, you know, I or I remember something crazy that I don't even remember. And now we're starting to bring on people that haven't even heard of us. Barely, right? And where I asked them, one person I we were talking to, I asked, what, what's your favorite show on the network? And then just blank. And then I saw them trying to look stuff up and and, and then flailing. And I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. This has never happened. This is this. This person doesn't actually know anything about us, but they're good and they know a lot and probably would be a great asset for us. So I need to kind of get over myself and not just hire people that are already predisposed to love what we're doing these are people i have to win over right it's kind of it's interesting it's a, it's a whole and and it's like yeah dude duh that's most businesses most businesses don't have this luxury of only hiring people that are already enthusiastic about what you're doing most people are hiring like no a lot of businesses no one's enthusiastic about anything they're doing they're just part of like the infrastructure of society and if we don't have them things fall apart. I've had this conversation with my daughter where she made some dismissive remark about some blue collar job and it was awkward because I, I was like no, you can't say that and I don't, you shouldn't think that and I don't actually think you think that. I think you were just trying to be funny or something um, or trying to just show a little attitude or whatever, but don't do that. Don't. That's it w- and then i just so we we went through the simulation of okay what if that role in society didn't exist how quickly would things fall apart if we didn't have those people doing that critical function right even though it doesn't come with a lot of respect and prestige and young people aren't clamoring to do that job right what what where would we be without those people we'd be pretty fucked wouldn't we and that's a hard conversation because it's like we were having a fun conversation, right? About Taylor Swift or something. Next thing I know, it's this serious conversation and she's f- upset. that, And it's not a, at me. She's like, she realized, oh, yeah, I was, you know, that it was so uncharacteristic of her, too. Right. But even if it's uncharacteristic, I don't think you give a kid a pass just because they're a good kid. If they say something where they're clearly not appreciating someone's worth. You need to actually have that conversation, even though if it's, if it's uncomfortable, take the time and do it. Certainly, we want, first and foremost, people that are predisposed to be passionate about what we're doing. Those people have been a huge win and for our, our company. And when I've hired people that were less sort of predisposed, it hasn't worked out as well, right? And again, it's like, yeah, dude, duh. A lot of employees don't work out like welcome to real company building. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, sure. Yes. So what do you do when you have to build real companies? You actually have to do a lot of this extra work of establishing a vision and writing it down and sharing it. And now our team meetings that we're doing. And it's, it's just I remember when we didn't do team meetings. And I remember we didn't have anything written down. And yeah i don't really think it was better i think this is better i think having it written down is better and i think i'm better for having thought of how to write it down so i'm appreciating the process of becoming a leader that's not just someone looking for people to help me with the website right because when you have investors and you're pushing towards something that is regulated and serious. You have to be a little more regulated and serious. But hell if I'm gonna temper my attitude, especially publicly, no fucking way. You know, I'm going hard at Quentin Johnston and Calvin Ridley, and you can suck it, right? That's not changing. Like, I didn't get into this to self-censor. So that's not happening. You know, I get into this to express myself. Will I also do all the work on the weekends and at night and in the mornings to document everything we need to be documented and, 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 and cross all the T's and dot all the I's that the regulators need and everybody else needs and the lawyers need and everything else? Sure, it stops at me becoming vanilla. It stops at me castrating my brain and my creativity. Not happening. I refuse to sterilize my hippocampus. I will not do it. I will not do it. That's not happening that's the update from the uh, the uh from the captain's chair we did do a big update we've, we've moved up the athleticism on on the veterans we changed the stats panel to be more robust the stats and metrics easy to get to and you can just see it's just a, I think it's a nicer flow uh on the main page forever no team logo we finally finally decided you know what we'll let the NFL complain put a little team logo in there if the nfl complains we'll take it down if not enjoy we move the bio into its own tab this is actually going to have like a a a picture from him in college a college photo and then we're going to put a highlight video either a video that we've done focused on tony pollard or 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 an nfl highlight video and we're going to put that in there too so we're going to we're going to enhance the bio we've been waiting for this update to hit so now our content team can go heavy and hard updating bios and Starting to roll out news. So now we actually have
3: news.
0: Oh my God. This is so cool. Source blogging the boys. Tony Pollard franchise tagged. We're gonna have Jack or Maddie, others actually do videos to to supplement the analysis. Not just a photo, not just the, the blurb, but an actual uh, uh, video. And that's why we're rolling out this new YouTube channel player profile or news it's just for shorts it's shorts only and we're doing you know 30 seconds on and then jack's gonna have his microphone mike evans is torn his acl that didn't happen that was was that's hypothetical we're gonna do some cool stuff with news i think we can really lean into it i know a lot of other sites have news now but i think we can be a differentiator um and and those are some of the things we'll do differently it's pretty cool i'm pretty happy with it and how and how it looks. We're constantly trying to update our design of the site. A lot more real-time, constantly updating information on playerprofiler.com. And then that tab structure is just going to keep growing. There's going to be an ADP analysis. There's going to be injury analysis. There's going to be contracts. There's going to be a stats section. There's going to be a college profile section. It's every month you're going to see a new tab show up. And we're just gonna, that's one of the ways we're just gonna grow the overall presence of player profiler on the internet. So that's exciting All right, you have to sign that deal with the devil. There were problems with him as prospects that weren't even detected by NFL teams because they drafted him in the first round. I don't know I'll have to look that up. Nate Burleson I think he had one I think he had one good season. He's certainly a good broadcaster. Uh, I don't have the I don't have his stats pulled up. He was a he was the third round pick. Yep. Third round pick from Nevada. Yep.
1: We got Quentin Johnston in the ninth round.
0: Shut up. We Jeez. ran pure. Based on the, the box office, it looks like the movie was just woke enough. For this awesome. year's Eagles, I would say it's the Bears. Shame on me.
2: Listen, the Bulls intro does what the Bulls intro wants.